Hammer Bullets produces what we at the Northern Hunter consider to be the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are easy to load, extremely accurate, and best of all, they're always in stock and ready to ship. The guys at Hammer designed them so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, it sheds its petals, initiating a massive energy dump while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. These bullets are built with 100% focus on how they perform on game, and their proprietary designs produce great BCs with specialized pressure grooves for amazing inherent accuracy and speed. They have a minimum expansion velocity of 1,800 feet per second, which allows for long-range shots, but with no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 30-30 to the high-velocity round like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com and use discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER to drop the hammer on your next adventure. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne. I'm Dalton Gray. I'm Mariah Humphreys. And in case nobody caught that, Dalton is out of the field and back in town, back in the studio. Welcome home, buddy. Why, thank you very much. It's great to be back. How are you, uh, how are you adjusting back to town life? Well, I have the coastal Alaska tan, which is... <laughs> Paleism, <laughs> right? <laughs> Chronic paleism. There you go. Um, yeah, no, it was a it was a good season. Finally wrapped up guiding for this fall uh, after that moose hunt, and it's a long. Uh, I I was in the field for all of the brown bear season. Nice, entire time. Spent, nice, but the whole time in a tent, just about. All right. Well, I am very excited to hear all about that. I'm sure everybody else is. Mm -hmm. uh, guys, before we dive too far into that, though, if you like what we're doing here at the Northern Hunter, you know the drill. Uh, a subscription goes a long way in helping us grow mm -hmm. and reach more people. Mm -hmm. A rating, a review, a written review, five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and share it with your friends. Uh, if you can share anything on our social medias, to your stories, or sh just send episodes to people, every platform has a share button there. So if you find anybody that is all about Alaska and wants great information, go ahead and send it to them uh, via whatever platform. If you'd like to support us uh, growing and putting on more platforms and more things, doing more stuff, uh, if you go to the website, thenorthernhunter.com, then we have a shop page there with some merch. You can get hats, hoodies, t-shirts, all that goodness. And uh, we have a partners page there where some great companies have decided to partner with us support what we're doing. We have discount codes with each of them. It's all mm -hmm. hunt related, all in the industry to help you get out there and be more successful. Mm -hmm. So if you go there or in the show notes of this show, you'll see all the companies that support us uh, and the discount codes for each one. If you buy from them, help them, helps us. And we really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I only have one announcement before we get going today. Uh, this episode is coming out on October 30th. Mm -hmm. So that means in just a couple of days, two days to be exact, uh, the draw system is going to open mm. up. So if you have for, not... For Alaska. For Alaska, yeah. yeah. Specifically. It's an Alaska podcast, so I would yeah. hope that... <laughs> well, you never know. Yeah. But... Uh, the new listener from Montana who thinks he's in, that, actually, he's in the north, right? <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the draw system, draw tag system for Alaska is opening up November 1st through November 15th. You do not have till the end of the day on the 15th either. You have till 5. November 15th or December 15th? December 15th, I said that. You said November 15th. Did I, I say November 15th? Yeah, I think you did. Yeah. Oh, yep. 
Well, so you have a month and a half. So that opens up from yeah, November 1st to December 15th, which yeah, yeah, it's a month and a half. Um, So if you haven't already, you should start looking into things. They, if you're in Alaska, they have a paper form, the 2023 to 2024 Alaska drawing permit hunt supplement is what you're looking for. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other great, systems you can get into uh go hunt has one uh onyx has one we're gonna be talking all about this on thursday's episode so make sure you're listening to that get some details and some explanations but i just wanted to put it out there if you have these supplements on thursday if you've gotten it between monday and thursday you can follow along with us as we're reading it so um just wanted to make sure everybody knew and yeah kind of got a, a heads up on that so yep dalton tell us a little bit about your adventures that you've had in the last uh what's it been Four weeks now? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, you, just about. Yeah. yeah. Missed a bunch of shows. Um, <laughs> Glad to have you back got on the back into cell sure. service yeah. and realized that I missed some good ones. So <laughs> we'll talk about that af- off the air. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. going to say I'm tired of just talking to James. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm tired of talking to you too, but. <laughs> well, well, that's all right. I'll get you guys to hug and make up later on. There we go. No. So. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was a good season. I went out uh, early October to get down to the area where I was going to be hunting, down mm. to base camp there and prep some camp stuff. And you were back down on the coast, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah different different area, um, more towards the Alaska Peninsula. Um, for folks that aren't familiar, um, that's west of Kodiak area, you know, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that long stretch going down to the Aleutian Chains, kind of in that historical area. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of a lot of great hunting history down there. A lot of big bears. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think that Kodiak brown bears are the biggest brown bears in the world. Um, they're the same thing as any other coastal brown bear is. Right. It's just that the genetics have been so isolated on Kodiak for so many years right. that well, they grow a lot of big skulls on Kodiak. I was say, it's mostly the heads, right? The yeah, heads are bigger. Yeah, the, the, yeah. yeah the, the skull genetics, I, I, from what I understand, and this mm. might not even be true, I'd be curious to talk to a biologist from Kodiak about that, actually. Yeah. Um, but from what I understand from different guides and different outfitters is that the Kodiak skull genetics seem to be better. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's for a variety of different reasons, but the body size, and there are certainly a lot of world record class brown bears shot on the Alaska Peninsula as well. They're the same animal, but, you know, much bigger areas. They, they can go a lot farther. There's a lot more um, you know, interbreeding between different groups and, mm-hmm. you know, di- di- different pockets of the population. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot like hunting the Kodiak environment. It's just not Kodiak. Right. right. Um, so anyway, yeah, great big bears, lots of them, you know, fall hunting, they're, uh, they're fishing mm. in a lot of those areas. We try to target and, and put spike camps where the fish are running, uh, because that's what they're focused on. These bears are, uh, all qualifiers for fat bear week. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's what it looked like to me. Um, just obscenely fat bears. Um, there was there, there was one set of tracks that I saw out there that was um, in between the footprints. There was a drag mark on the ground. <laughs> so yeah, he was. That's awesome. He was dragging something on the ground. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, I don't really want to get into what I what I think that was, but he was dragging something on the ground. Um, and I ended up seeing that bear actually, and, and then walking over and looking at his tracks. So mm. that was yeah, definitely a monster brown bear, big old boy. Um, yeah, just yeah. gorging themselves on fish, and then here pretty soon they're going to be up in the high country looking for denning yep. um, areas. So yeah, that that season is in October. Uh, so I headed down there at the beginning of the month and then got delayed 
in a small town um, for three days due to weather. Couldn't get mm. out to our base camp. Pretty um, common thing in the Super way. Cubs. So we were able to. Uh, all of us guides were stuck in the village for for a few days. Um, luckily, we were able to find some local accommodations and get put up. I think we probably increased the town's population by fifteen percent um, <laughs> with, with all of us there. Um, but yeah, so anyway, we, long story short, we got out to base camp after a while in the cub and, um, you know, we had our little, our little powwow with the staff and then mm-hmm. I was the first one out into the field. I, okay. the weather was good in my spot, so I didn't even spend the night in camp the first day. Um, at that point we were waiting to get the clients in, um, from main town on the charter flights. Gotcha. So everything was delayed because of the bad weather right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I ended up being out in the field for one night, got camp set up. Um, of course it was blowing 30 miles an hour and pouring rain mm-hmm. as it does setting up the tent. Yeah. Um, I took a Barney's Bob, sh- a bomb shelter tent, uh, one of the discontinued models, but they are uh, a four pole angled design, um, kind of a square footprint, if, if you will. Any, anybody who, who has worked up here in the guide industry knows what I'm talking about. They are well-known, very reputable, very strong tents. Gotcha. And I had, I had a bunch of different tents to choose from at base camp. And I walked through the gear shack and I said, um, are those bomb shelters in good working order? Okay, I'm taking one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I- So I that, grabbed, that was the guide's, the guide's tent? Yeah. Or yeah. the outfitter's well, that, tent, that, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that, that belonged to the outfitter. Yeah. Um, so I grabbed that one because those do very, very well in strong winds. And um, the, the, it's, it's like one inch conduit for poles. Wow. So yeah, it's stout. And then I put out all the stakes, all the guy lines, and I'm glad I did. Uh, then the next day, my client got in and he is a traditional bow hunter. Mm. He brought a Black Widow recurve. Nice. Um, I knew I was getting a bow hunter. I wasn't fully aware of what his gear was going to be until, <laughs> I, until I got off the plane. Um, and he walked up and I didn't see a bow. And then I mm. thought, okay, it must be a trad bow. Mm. And sure enough, he had a Black Widow recurve, some homemade wooden arrows. Mm. And, oh, wow. Uh, big 300 grain single bevel broadheads. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's done some traditional bow hunting up here before and killed a moose before. Okay. So he's, he's had some luck. Uh, that was on a DIY hunt as a matter of fact. Wow. Um, and he, so he's hunted Alaska a few times, but really wanted to shoot a brown bear with his trad bow. Um, we had our conversation the day that he got in, you know, we weren't hunting that night, just getting stuff set up, going through his gear and kind of going over the hunt plan. And, um, he said, you know, my main goal is just to get a good opportunity. He said, yeah. I, I don't expect to shoot one. I just really want a good opportunity. And that's, that's really what I'm here for. That's the right mindset to have. Yeah. Especially yeah. with a trad bow, you know, right. a guy with a rifle is going to have different expectations. Yeah. Um, several of the other gun hunters were looking for 10 foot or bust. Mm-hmm. You know, they were experienced bear hunters. They'd been up here before. Um, a couple of them even hunted with that outfit before in years mm-hmm. past. And so they had, you know, a, definitely a little higher bar um, mm. for what they were looking for. And that's fine too. You know, I, oh, I don't yeah. have any problem either way. I've, I, I've had hunters go both ways. Um, but this guy, you know, he was, and, and traditional bow hunters tend to be more like this anyway, because they understand that they don't get as many opportunities. Mm. Right. Because your normal effective shooting range that most trad bow guys want to shoot is 20, 25 yards. Yeah. Which is pretty tough to do in Alaska. Right. I mean, really anywhere for that matter, mm-hmm. but especially in Alaska, you know, there's a lot of brush, there's a lot of loud country. 
um, that you can't really stalk a bear in the stick grass up on the side of the hill. You know, it, you're you're just not going to get 20 yards from a brown bear, right? Or a moose for that matter in the stick grass and like the salmon berries and the alder brush. You, you number one, you can't even see them when you're mm-hmm. that close to them anyway. You've got to be above them, and sometimes you can get lucky, but for the most part, you're going to be hunting them on the on the salmon streams and on the rivers and on the beaches when they're traveling looking for fish. And so do, we do, were. Do you know what poundage that bow was? It was fifty-four pounds. Fifty-four okay. pounds. Yeah. yeah, fifty-four. It was. You know that there there are a lot of speculations about that that we could you know it's go legal. off into. Yeah, it's totally yeah. it's totally legal. Um, he like I said, he had he had uh, well made arrows. I I think he said he made it himself. I I I could be wrong on that, but I think he made his own arrows. Yeah, they were good. He did a good job. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't an amateur at that. Mm. Um, and it, they were well made arrows. Um. And uh, like I said, he had a nice heavy broadhead. His, his arrows were heavy. Um, he had the right idea. He had the right setup. Um, mm. And he was he was a little bit older, um, you know. So he he just felt more comfortable shooting fifty four pounds, and that's plenty. Yeah, right. To, yeah. to get into the right. vitals on a bear, that's just fine as long as you stay out of the shoulder, really. Right. Um, obviously, sixty plus is preferred, but not necessary. Well, and I would I would say it probably falls under the same thought pattern as with most rifles when people yeah. are asking well what rifle should i shoot right. for this right the one you shoot best yeah like yeah, if that, you're more comfortable with 54 yeah. pounds than you are 70 yeah that's then, that, that would in my mind and the way that i explained it to him was like because my recurve is 62 pounds at my draw length yeah i said you know my bow i would put compared to 54 pounds I'd say that's like comparing a 300 wind mag versus a 375 H and H. You know, the 375 is better for the job, um, but a 30 out six is still the job. You oh, just yeah. have to be a little bit more selective, and you can't take as hard of a quartering shot because it's not probably going to go as deeply into the animal. Right. Um, so anyway, you know, first day. You spend a lot of time just talking about how you're going to hunt and what your strategy is. I'd already been there for that previous night, so I'd already seen where the bears were moving. I'd spent that evening glassing after I got the tent set up. And um, the following morning, I was up early looking at bears. I saw um, that actually that, that big belly dragger bear I saw that morning. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'd, I'd kind of gotten a rough idea of where the bears were moving from. There was a nice big river that had a lot of fish in it. But it was a couple of miles away okay. over kind of in the corner where we got dropped off. And um, there were several feeder creeks that had fish in them in between us and the river. Okay. And so the bears were kind of running a loop and just going from the big river up to the smaller river going up and then disappearing into the alders. And then they'd go up and then I'd see them a couple of days later. And this is obviously through, through the hunt. I saw that pattern. And you'd see some of the same bears just making that loop. Mm. And they were all fishing. Yeah. Um, and there were, you know, there, there was a good amount of fish, you know, walking over to those creeks throughout the hunt. Um, they all stunk like dead fish, you know, and you didn't want to get water out of those creeks. Um, thankfully we had a little small tributary Creek that dumped out, um, about 150 yards from camp that we were able to get good drinking water out of. Um, so we didn't have to go very far and spread too much scent there Mm -hmm. either. So that first night, um, I, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's worth mentioning again. Um, part of what I do with a client on the first day is you talk about shot placement, you talk about backup shots, mm. you let them know about safety. You know, he had a handgun, mm-hmm. talked about, you know, you're not going to have that thing loaded unless I say so. Um, my gun is loaded, my handgun is loaded, but my rifle, 
you know, depending on what we're doing may or may not be, I'll be ready, but that's my job. Your job right. is to keep your gun unloaded and don't get a broadhead out until we are set in position. You know, I don't want yeah. you walking around with an arrow on the string. Yeah. You know, you could fall and stab me from behind or fall and stab yourself, you know, just, just safety, things like that. And then I ask health questions. Mm. And so I asked him, I said, do you have any known medical conditions um, that, that I should be aware of? And um, he said, well, I have AFib, which for folks that don't know is a heart condition. Mm -hmm. And for some people, AFib is a non-issue. You know, they just have it and it comes and goes and it's not really a chronic thing. For some people, it can be. And it depends on what your doctor tells you. Um, this guy had some family history of, of some, you know, some strokes and things in his family. And so I, according to his doctor, he had been told, um, back home the last time he had dealt with AFib, he went into the hospital to get it checked out because he kind of felt off. He knew his heart rate was way high, went right. in and the doctor, you know, had him on some blood thinner medications and, and he, he was on a few things for it and it was under control. You know, as far as anybody knew it was, it was totally managed. But he said that if he went into AFib, that his doctor had told him that he had to be in a hospital within a day. Ooh, so that's a tall order out in the bush. I, I didn't think too much of it. I thought, mm -hmm. well, it's already a known thing. He's already got his meds for it. And he had, you know, he had his little plastic case of meds and had everything lined out and labeled. And he said, yep, I should be totally fine. I'm not worried about it at all. My doctor's not worried about it. And so I thought, okay, well, no big deal. But at least I know about the one health condition that this guy has. Right. So he was responsible in his sure, approach to the Sure, yeah, yeah he, exactly. He got checked out, had everything organized. Right, yeah. right. And so we went to bed that night after dinner. We ate a quick peak refuel meal, and um, we went to bed mm -hmm. just shortly after dark. Um, I fell asleep in short order. Um, I, I was, yeah, I was out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, a nice calm night that night. Next day was supposed to be decent weather, actually pretty good weather, which is kind of rare. And the long-term <laughs> forecast did right. not show that. Um, but uh, the next morning, we woke up before first light, um, quite a bit before then, um, about an hour and a half before first light, just to make coffee and, and um, get out and be ready so that we could be looking down the beach and watching for a bear as soon as we could see through the binos, basically. And because uh, those, you know, a lot of those bears, you'll see the big guys move in the first and last hour of the daylight. Okay. Um, and, and then some of them you'll see moving from the rivers to the brush. Mm. Others will stay up farther up the creeks and the rivers, and you won't even see them in the first and last hour of the light. So you got to find a glassing knob to look down on them from. Otherwise, you won't even see those big guys until they make that coastline loop, and then they come out on the beaches to, to travel from one area Which to another. Which could be days in between. Right, but, yeah. right, exactly. And so this being the first day, I wanted to be up nice and early. I'd set my alarm. I woke up, and I sat up in my bag and lit the white gas lantern in the tent and uh, you know, got some light going, got a little bit of heat going, and I said, good morning. And the client said, good morning. And then he said, so don't freak out. <laughs> <laughs> and so immediately my first thought was what's he going to tell me mm -hmm. and he said i've been in afib since early last night mm. after i went to bed after you fell asleep i was in afib now he has a some kind of a smart watch that monitors his heart rate and that tells him what his heart rate is and so his watch had told him that he was in afib 
Gotcha. And then he took his pulse and was able to tell from his previous signs that he was indeed an AFib. And I said, so what does that mean? What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I need to get to a hospital as soon as possible. And so immediately my heart sank. Mm. Of course, he was, just, he was very disappointed. You know, first day, hadn't even got out of the tent to hunt yet. It was still dark outside. And he said he had to be to a hospital that day. Wow. So I updated the inReach forecast for the weather and showed great weather that day. Relatively calm winds in our spot and partly cloudy, but mostly clear skies and sun. So I thought, well, if there's ever a good day to get out of here, today's probably as good a day as you could have picked. Right. So I inReached back to base camp and relayed that to the, to the guys back there. And the pilot responded to me and said, there's fog to the ground. Can't get out. So our original plan of getting the Super Cub in there to grab him and his gear, take him back to where a charter flight could come get him from Anchorage, and then get him back to Anchorage to go to the hospital, was out the window. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I said, what are my options? Do, like, well, to the client, I said, can we wait until this fog might lift? Because it could lift by noon. It could lift by three o'clock. Or it could sit there all day. Yeah. Because you never really know. The, the, the base camp is far enough away and it's in the mountains. And so your weather can be one thing at our spike camp and a totally different set of conditions over there. And it oftentimes was right. completely opposite weather. And so um, the pilot said, or the, the, uh, the owner said, that's your call. You yeah. know, that this is not something that we can determine. You're there with him. Um, this is your decision. So talk to him. And so I did and we hashed it out. And I said, well, is it bad enough that if you don't get out today, you're concerned about it? And he said, yes. I said, okay, well, this is a medical, this is a medical emergency. So um, I quickly texted my wife and said, relay this to my emergency contacts that will get a call from Garmin. I said, I'm going to activate my SOS. I said, I'm okay. The client's okay for now, but we have a condition just to let her know so that she doesn't think that we got, yeah, you know, had keep, a bear in the tent or something. Freaking out and all right. that. Right. Yeah. So I hit the SOS on my Garmin inReach and proceeded to initiate that SOS response. So um, the, uh, the response center, I believe, is in Texas okay. for Garmin. And that, that's kind of their, you know, dispatch, if you will. They responded right away. We've received your SOS. We have your location. What's your emergency? And so I broke it down for them. They said, okay, we are relaying this information to the troopers in Fairbanks. And I responded immediately and said, Fairbanks is hours away at best right? Mm -hmm. with a plane. You need to relay this to Anchorage or to Kodiak Coast Guard. Right. Because they're the ones that are going to get a helicopter in here. And um, I said, our, our, our base camp you know, Super Cub can't get out. Um, we are stuck here, and this guy has to be to a hospital by day's end. He's already been in AFib since last night. He didn't tell me. Um, in hindsight, I wish he would have woke me up. Yeah, it's a little odd he didn't wake you um, up. I, I think it. I think he was probably hoping that it might have gone away, right? Um, because he did take his meds in the morning to no effect, and I I I, I took his pulse a couple of times, and it was. Um, very high, mm -hmm. very irregular, hard to even get a read sometimes, um, very irregular, you know, very concerning. Right. We'll just put it that way. And so I, I, I told, the, told the response, I said, Fairbanks is too far away. You need to send this to Anchorage or Kodiak. They're the closest ones. 
uh, that can that can dispatch mm-hmm. a helicopter. And then they said, well, Fairbanks said they relayed it to this village, and it was even farther away. Oh no! And then I said, that's farther away. Just that, yeah. And then they responded and said, he related to this village, which was then pretty close. Okay. It was the closest place with the trooper station as far as a village goes. Right. So that trooper in that nearby village direct messaged me on inReach. So I deactivated the SOS and said, I will just continue this through the trooper in this village. And so he was great. Mm. And I'm not going to say where he was or what his name is just for confidentiality. Right. But he did a great job. He took the, he took the helm with that and said, I'm going to call the Coast Guard and Kodiak immediately. And so he did. And within five minutes, I had a response. And he said, the Coast Guard was not aware of this. Um, Garmin had not sent them this alert. And um, so the Coast Guard is now aware of it. They will mm-hmm. now be direct messaging you. And so they did. And to, to compress the whole, uh, the whole timeline of this event, um, the Coast Guard had another call that came in during this process for higher, um, a higher priority rescue. Right. And so I said, look, that's, you know, I, I get it. That's fine. We're doing okay here. He's stable. And um, he, although it was concerning, it wasn't imminently life-threatening at that moment. Mm-hmm. But the longer we waited, the worse it could the be. The closer you were getting right, to exactly, that. Right, exactly, to that day mark. And so the Coast Guard made it there uh, over the course of the next couple of hours, landed right there in front of our camp, and we already had all of the stuff packed up. And he was transported to Kodiak in the Black Hawk helicopter. I, I think it was a Black Hawk, something okay. like that. Big old bird. And those guys are rock stars. Yeah. Like they jumped out of that thing in their orange suits and their helmets and <laughs> ran over there, you know, Top Gun style. And <laughs> I, I, I took a picture of one of them because he had a great patch on his helmet. And I, I, I'm not, again, I, I wish I could post it. It's that, it's that funny. But I'll show you guys. Um, so anyway, they, uh, they, took, they, they came out and the one guy talked to us and he said, all right, who's going? Do you both want to go? And I said, no, I'm staying here. And uh, the client said, well, I'm going to go to the hospital in Kodiak, uh, Providence in Kodiak, and go to a doctor and see what they say. And if I get cleared to come back, then I'm going to try to. So I yeah. said, well, you know, that's going to be doctor's, doctor's prerogative, you know, at that point. And then you can talk to the outfitter and make sure that mm-hmm. they're okay with it. And, um, so they took him out and they took all of his gear. Mm -hmm. I think he had two small backpacks and then his bow hard case. And, and then that was it. Just in case he didn't make it back. Well, right, right. right, Exactly. And and he asked me that, the the Coast Guard officer asked me that. He said, does he need to bring all of his stuff? And I said, well, he might not be able to come back. I said, if if he has to go to Anchorage to get, to get his hard cases and stuff to fly home, then he needs his stuff. Like this is where all of his clothes mm-hmm. are and all of his gear. So, and you know, he's not going to fly all the way back down here just to get his stuff. Right. So he said, yeah, throw it in. We'll take it. And so they took him off. And, um, in my mind, I was prepared to just go home. I thought, you know, this is it. Yeah. I mean, like I, <laughs> you hit the SOS and that's probably going to be it. Yeah. Well, and especially with a heart condition, yeah. I mean, getting cleared to go back in the field in that right. short time. Right. Exactly. You know. And at this point, the season was already open. And we only had a couple of weeks of season anyway. <laughs> and uh, so I, I sat there that day and um, um, we waited. Uh, I, I waited for word. Um, he said, 
he made it to Kodiak and I was in, I was in communication with base camp and they said, well, the weather's too bad for me to pull you back to base camp today because every day that you're out there, um, there is that risk that you could bump into a bear and have a bad situation oh, sure. and, and, and without yeah. a client there to shoot it. Um, you just don't want to put yourself in that situation mm-hmm. unnecessarily. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I ended up sitting there for four days, I think. And, uh, he ended up getting cleared to come back. Oh, awesome. So he, he was able to get a charter flight and then he flew right back to the spike camp. Awesome. I think there's two good lessons from that, that part of your story. One would be obviously be aware of everything that you yeah. have medically going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, realistically, sure. you, you don't, he sounds like he did a good job prepping mm-hmm. ahead of time, yep. you know, making sure he had doctor's clearances and yeah. all his meds and everything. Yeah, and right. when th- something did hit the fan, you know, and he did have an incident. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he made the right call yeah, going to get absolutely. checked out. You know, don't, yeah. there's certain things I, as men, you know, we just like to tough things out, mm-hmm. you know, just push a little harder, Yeah, but, mm-hmm. you know, just put your head down, shoulders back, go to work. Yeah. And that, yeah. With medical stuff like that, yeah. it, it, it can be detrimental. Yeah. You can um, only take so many risks. The other point about that, and I've heard, I, I've luckily never had to hit the SOS button yet. Yeah, that was my first um, time too. But <laughs> first time I've purpose. heard a lot of people talk about the complications when you hit that SOS button. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always just push it and forget about it. You know, yeah. you've got to communicate with them. Oh, you've yeah. got to tell them what's going on. Oh, right. Sometimes right. they'll dispatch to the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Like you said, they're not in Alaska, so they don't always know exactly where things yeah. are, what the closest place is. They yeah. try to do their best. And sure. for, for the most part, I mean, I've heard a, a lot of SOS stories. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they do really well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But there is always that chance that you'll kind of get the runaround like that. So, yeah. I mean... You, you have if, to if you know. end up in a situation, be prepared yeah. to explain what's going on yes. and still be yeah. conscious and communicating. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I I was I was very aware that Kodiak was the best quick option. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I knew yeah. that going into it, and, and, and any anywhere I'm hunting, mm. I know where to tell dispatch to uh, to relay that message to. Yeah, like if you're in the Brooks Range. You need to be talking to Fairbanks. Yeah. You don't need to be talking to Anchorage. Talk to Fairbanks because yeah. then they're going to relay it to either Ileson or Greeley or wherever. Um, and so you, you need to be able to communicate at least basics of what is closest to kind you. Kind of plan your because, exit strategy. And, and, and that's one thing that kind of bothered me is they ought to be able to pull up your location on a map. <laughs> and then have every pin of every emergency response and what oh, their capacity yeah. to deploy is right. and say, he's on the Alaska Peninsula, where's the nearest Coast Guard base? Boom, Kodiak. Mm-hmm. And just that fast, they go straight to the Coast Guard, not to Fairbanks. Yeah. You know? Which, that's, and, you know, a lot of the stories I've heard are just that fast. Yeah. You know, and sometimes yeah. they do really well, and maybe it's, you know, a new dispatcher or whatever the case might be. It's your, your people dealing with right, people, right. you know, it's not. Yeah. So just understanding that ahead mm-hmm. of time, yeah. planning your exit strategy, knowing that you have to communicate and yeah. what to communicate. I think, I think probably the biggest thing that people need to be aware of is yes, the Garmin inReach is a great emergency response tool, but it is a middleman. Yes. You are yeah. texting somebody in Texas yeah. that is then going to relay your message. <laughs> That whole process, albeit with the with without the miscommunications and going to going kind of a roundabout way to get to that more localized area village to then go to Kodiak Coast Guard, mm-hmm. even without that runaround of communication, it still would have taken over a couple hours for them to get there. 
you need to be medically competent. Yes. Especially as a guide to deal with whatever might happen because had he run a broadhead through his arm or had a, had a gun gone off and shot mm-hmm. somebody. Yeah. Sure, we, we might have gotten a little more prioritized over the other call that came in, but you're still looking at about an hour and a half to two and a half hours. Oh, yeah, which if you hit anything yeah. vital in your body. You are in trouble. Yeah. That's a long time mm-hmm. to keep somebody alive that's chronically bleeding out yeah, of a major an artery. artery or anything like that. Major thing. You right. need to be competent. And that ran through my mind when I was sitting there waiting and responding with these guys is, man, this really could be a lot worse. Mm-hmm. And you need to be medically competent, especially guiding to take care of that. And, you know, years ago, um, right as I was graduating high school, I, I actually got my EMT one license mm-hmm. and, and my national, um, licensing for that. I, I was planning on doing some, some volunteer work at some point, And I did a little yep. bit here and there, but I, I mainly wanted to do the EMT work and just take the class and, and get that certification. I, I don't, I don't keep the license current. It's, it's, it's expired, but it's good knowledge to just go through. I was going to say, you have that base knowledge. Though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you just learn that and then you are more prepared than probably most other guys out there. Yeah. And even if you're not guiding, it's good thing. It's it's just great stuff to know. It well, really is. There's that. And then in almost every decent sized population region, um, be it a larger town or big city, small city, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, there's almost always an option to go to some sort of wilderness first aid yes. um, class, whether it's through uh, Fish and Game or whether it's through a nonprofit or whatever mm-hmm, it might be. Mm-hmm. Doing that and having that training is yes. awesome. And, you know, we tell everybody in InReach, like you said, is a great tool. It does not replace your trauma kit. Mm-hmm. It does not replace medical preparedness. You know, yeah. having a trauma kit, you know, we'll just plug Stealthy Hunter. If you go to Stealthy right. Hunter, he has a, the backcountry trauma kit which Mm -hmm. is one of the best put together ones i've seen on the market yeah period Mm -hmm. it's lightweight but it has everything you need in it um including like a tourniquet just in case you do hit something major Mm -hmm. Um, large bandages things to stitch yourself up with things to sterilize things to clean out large wounds Um, it's got the syringe in there great trauma kit to go buy Um, we also have a discount code with the northern hunter um but never let your inreach boost your confidence so yeah, much yeah. that you put yourself in a horrible situation. Yeah, so right. um, let's take a break real quick, Mo, and I want to hear about how the actual hunt went. Yeah. Everybody knows that one of the most important pieces of a hunter's kit is their knife. Whether you're looking for a fleshing blade, a skinning blade, or just a quality multi-purpose knife for the backcountry, Yukon River Knives has what you need. They offer blades such as the Hunter, Small Game, and the Sendero Bush Knife. Yukon River Knives is based in Texas and has a unique mission goal in that a percentage of all knife sales go to support a missionary in Alaska. Now Dalton, you've experienced with these knives in the field. Talk to us about that. As a matter of fact, I have used a few of their knives and watched my good friend Remy use them for years with great results. They have a micarta handle that doesn't get slippery when it gets wet, and they have phenomenal edge retention for long skinning jobs. Go check out our web link on the northernhunter.com and that'll take you directly to Yukon River Knives website to see their full selection and order your knives for your next hunt with the discount code the northern hunter at checkout. And remember, nothing replaces a quality hunting knife. All right, so so dude comes back, gets mm-hmm. the charter back into spike camp. Yep. 
Um, before we get too far into what you guys did personally, mm-hmm. go into some of the hunting tactic differences between spring and fall um, because you you do a lot of spring guiding, mm-hmm. have for several years now. Yeah. Um, so what, if anything, did you alter in your strategy for the later season? There are a lot of differences. Yeah. A lot. Um, but there, the one thing that you'll find with any brown bear hunting is there's a whole lot of sit and wait. Yeah. Spring or fall. Um, there is still the aspect of this bear can smell seven times, I, I'm sorry, seven times the olfactory nerve receptors as a bloodhound, a hundred mm-hmm. times better sense of smell right. than a bloodhound. Yeah. It's believed insane that, amount of smell. It's believed that the bear kingdom has the greatest sense of smell in all the world. I'd believe it. Really? Um, I, I was just watching a documentary about brown bears like two days ago, and I heard that, and I I haven't looked it up, so don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, but I, I wouldn't find that hard to believe, though. Yeah. Because of the amount of olfactory nerve receptors. Oh, um, yeah. Which allows uh-huh. for sense of smell. Um, so you're always playing the wind, spring or fall. That's, that's rule of thumb. Never, never put yourself in a position where you are exposed to wind that is blowing your scent into where you're trying to hunt these bears at. Yeah. Because, and this is something else that's interesting too, um, and I don't know if it's 100% true or not. I, I'd be curious to talk to a biologist about this one too that specializes in bear biology. Um, I've heard that because of their such, such an acute sense of smell that they can not only determine that that's a human footprint that's from four days ago, but they can distinguish what stepped there today, what stepped there yesterday, mm. and they can distinguish timelines of based how on, long ago something was there. Based on how strong the smell and is. And that's how everything. they determine in the springtime of which set of sow tracks wow. to track down to try to get to go into heat wow. to mate. Wow. So That's impressive. You know, you, you hear all the old stories about, you know, guys walking down the beach in their rubber boots mm-hmm. and the bear walked by your tracks two days later and he puts his nose in your footprint and runs and you never see that bear again. Right. I've had that happen before. Yeah. Um, and so you, the, the same thing applies spring or fall. Play the wind. Mm. Play the wind. Play the wind. Which is, yeah. Good it practice is, whether you're down on the coast, yeah. interior Alaska, any yep. kind of bear hunting. Even yeah. if I've got a grizzly um, working a bear bait, if the wind is bad that night, I don't go. Right. It's yeah. just not worth the chance, you know, because you're just going to run them off. Mm-hmm. And, and they do not come back. They just don't. The, the, the mature bears don't. Right. Some the, of the small ones will ignore it sometimes, but I've never had a big shooter bear mm-hmm. ignore scent ever. Yeah. Um, yeah some, when, when, they're, when their stomach overpowers their brain. Yeah. That's usually a, yeah. a younger or just a very hungry yeah. bear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, desperation or aggression. Sure, that that can be in there too. But, but as the, the as big a, ones as a rule of thumb, no reason. yeah, exactly. <laughs> as a rule of thumb, the big guys are the smartest ones. Yeah. Um. So yeah, as as far as the fall goes, kind of the bigger difference um, where I was working on this hunt is there's a lot more terrain variation. Yeah. Like okay. topographical differences. Mm-hmm. Um. It's not thickly treed Mm. it's just not it's heavy alder brush um 
you know, Devil's Club, Salmonberry, Stick Grass, nasty tangled brush, but not a forest of undergrowth and old growth. Still nasty to walk through, sounds like. Oh, yeah. Still borderline <laughs> impossible in some yeah. places. Um, but you have more visibility. Okay, yeah. You can glass up on hillsides farther away than you'll ever be able to walk mm. and look for these bears if they're moving up on the hillsides, which some of them were. We, we, I, I saw uh, a good number of them, but I wasn't focusing up there. Um, and this is more situational to the hunter than I had being a traditional bow hunter with his um, distance stipulations. You know, he expressed that he would prefer to be 25 yards ish or better yeah on a brown bear for a good shot um as the hunt went on and he got to see more of the terrain and he shot his bow a few times he said you know i i I, i'm comfortable shooting 30 if i need to yeah um i i can do that i just would prefer 25 or under and so I, i i in my mind that's about the difference between 40 and 60 with a compound right 40 yards, you know, if a guy says, I want to shoot a brown bear with a compound at 40, but I can do it at 50 or 60 if the conditions are right. Mm -hmm. That's about the comparison between 20 or 25 and 30 with a recurve. Um, And so, and and I'd seen him shoot, you know, he'd shot some practice arrows into the grass bank right in front of the tent several times. He was a good shot. You know, he was putting his arrows right next to each other at 20, 25 yards. I thought, man, this guy's going to have no problem shooting Mm -hmm. a bear if we can get close enough. Mm -hmm. So. One of the more advantageous things that you have on the peninsula versus where I've guided um, in the springtime a lot is you have more glassing knobs available. Yeah. So it's more um, conducive to the long, slow days of just picking through the bears Mm -hmm. from a glassing knob. Well, at the spot where we got dropped, um, our nearest glassing knob was over a mile away. Mm. And as it happened, the wind was howling off of that knob right up into where the bears were. (laughs) And so I said, we're not going up there. Yeah. I said, we are going to stand right here near camp. Um, We had a little point on the coast that we could walk up to about 300 yards from the tent where we could see back down past camp into that head where all the creeks and the river was. And then we could see around the corner down the other side of the beach. And the wind was good enough to do that and not blow straight into their corner. Right. But had we gone up on that glassing knob from that angle, the wind would have blown right down into where those bears were. Just busted them all And out. so what you'll see is in this area is you get dropped off and then you spend three or four days hunting. And on day one, you'll see 10 bears. Mm-hmm. On day two, you'll see eight bears. Day three, you'll see five bears. Gotcha. By day four or day five, you're seeing pretty much nothing. They know you're there. And then point. you say, well, where'd all the bears go? Well, they all smelled you, all the big ones anyway, and they're not coming around. Yep. They went somewhere else to fish, mm. and that happens routinely. And then guys wonder, well, I had to get moved, or my guide wanted us to get moved. Well, it's because you blew it out. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's not uncommon, and sometimes that happens inadvertently. Um, but where we were camped, I, uh, I was able to set up the tent in an old camp spot that was surrounded in the alders that were four feet taller than the top of the tent on almost all the way around. Mm-hmm. So we had very 
very good protection from the wind right at camp. Right, right. So even if the wind was blowing straight down the beach, right over the camp, right into where the bears are, we were kind of below that wind line because the brush was really sheltering the tent. We had some days of 70 mile an hour winds and the tent barely even shook. Yeah, that's good. You'd walk 40 yards out to the beach and you didn't... You could literally lean forward and the wind would keep you upright. (laughs) You couldn't fall on your face. Yeah. You'd walk back to the tent and take all your layers off because it was stagnant and warm. Mm -hmm. So it it was a great camp spot. Yeah. And so we were able to pretty much play the wind and just stay close to camp and just glass from the bottom. And we could see the entire coastline. We could see up some of those creeks. We could see the river. And we just watched bears. We never saw a decrease in bear numbers. Not one day. And I was out there from beginning to end of season. Nice. Never had a day that I thought, mm, I wonder if we blew it out. Not once. Awesome. So that part was really advantageous. And it was, it, it was familiar because I've done that a lot in the spring. Right. Where you don't have a glassing knob. You just sit looking down a long beach line or up a lagoon or on a grass flat somewhere where the bears will come out and eat grass and mm-hmm. look for a sow. Um, so I, I didn't have a glassing knob. I, I never went up there one time. We'd, but we didn't need to either. And a lot of these bears are working from that main river, the big river, mm. um, towards us down the beach a couple of miles. And they would cut in up this one creek that was a fairly sizable creek, you know, small stream. Well, I'm sorry, big stream, bigger than a slough, but mm-hmm. smaller than most rivers type of a thing. Right. Um, and, and you could tell that in earlier in the fall, that that creek would be probably five to six feet deep at its deepest point, um, which holds a lot of fish. Yeah. And there were bear beds stomped in and bear trails all along that creek that you could see. Yeah. But we couldn't go over there most days because the wind would have been bad had we left camp and gone towards them. Yeah. So we spent a lot of days just observing and watching bears and waiting for one to come up past that corner and then cut up towards us. Which there were a lot of tracks right in front of camp where we got dropped off. Mm. So I knew that at some point, some of these bears were walking up right in front of the tent. Do they seem to be more uh, patternable? I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it. Um, In the fall than in the springtime being as like the the food seems to be more consistently in the same place. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I would. Uh, The experience that I do have hunting brown bears in the fall, which is uh, several different times has been easier to predict yeah. where you're going to see them. Yep. And that's just a food source thing. In the springtime, you'll see them on the beach grass, but and, and there are certainly areas in the spring where historically we know where they hang out, we know where they rut, uh, where they're chasing sows, and where mm. they go when they get a sow to stay away from the main areas of travel because the big boars will take a sow into a secluded area off the beach somewhere right? into some little back eddy lagoon or some back river with a nice big grass bank that's just kind of sheltered and quiet and away from things, back into a little yeah. cove somewhere. The honeymoon area. Sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> and so there, there are definitely ways to pattern them in a spring too, um, but they move a lot more in the spring. Yeah. They're just cruising, you know, because they're driven by the rut. In the fall, they don't care about that. Mm-hmm. There, there are bears walking by each other on the beach. You know, hey, Joe, <laughs> right? <laughs> going yeah. to the fish market, you know, yep. and they just walk right by each other. It's all about the calories. Yeah. They're just e- focused exactly. on Exactly. And yeah. there are footprints inside of footprints mm-hmm. of bear tracks on that beach. Yeah. And so 
Day one, we saw, oh boy, somewhere around a dozen bears, several big ones, but again, far away mm-hmm. and a bunch of them were walking away. Mm. So we seem to see a lot of the biggest boars in the morning. Um, that was kind of a common theme throughout the entire hunt, really, that I noticed, um, which seems to be kind of the opposite in most of the areas that I hunt in the spring. Usually we're killing them late, right. you know, l- late at night. Um, so that, that was interesting. So every day began with get up well before dark, fire up the, fire up the MSR stove, make a few cups of coffee, you know, go to the latrine, do your business, and you know, just get everything in the morning done and out of the way. So right. that as soon as you had shooting light, you, could, you already had your bag packed, you already had your bow, your gun ready. We were ready to run as soon as we had shooting light pretty much every day. Um, and we ended up seeing most of the big, big bears in that first hour to hour and a half in the morning. Okay. And a lot of those big bears were coming out of the river area of fishing mm-hmm. and then headed for the brush somewhere. And that, that's, that's a pretty common theme in, in the fall with those big brown bears. Um, the big mature ones, you know, they'll, they're very nocturnal. They'll fish a lot in the evening at, at night. And then as soon as it gets daylight, they'll head for cover. Right. And then sometimes throughout the day, you'll catch them making a quick path back to the river. They'll run over, catch fish, go back in the brush, and they'll just do that back and forth. They don't spend a lot of time out in the open. Mm. And those bears are pretty tough to get on, especially inside 25 yards of the bow. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So day two comes around. We had pretty good weather. Uh, the wind was a crosswind uh, by camp, and a big bear stepped out of that creek and came our way. And I looked at it through the binos. Um, and this is in the last like half hour of daylight. And it was a nine foot plus bear. And he was walking up towards us and he didn't cut it on any of the other bear trails where the rest of them had been going. Right. And I said, this bear is going to walk right by us at camp. And so we had a little, um, a little gravel bank uh, with some nice tall green grass on it that we got on the other side of. And he was walking about 15 yards down paralleling that grass bank. <laughs> and he was, you know, 300, 200, 100 yards. And so yeah. we were in position. We were on our knees and uh, I was off to one side of the client. You know, we were hunkered down low using the grass and that berm as our cover. Um, but I knew that that bear was walking in our footprints, which I thought was interesting because he walked right by our tracks going to the watering creek. Mm-hmm. And he was walking right in our footprints. Did he seem to notice them or just He walking? stopped and sniffed them for a minute. And then he quickly started to pick up his pace like he was trying to walk away from that. Gotcha. Not realizing he was walking closer to where we were. Yeah. Um, and again, the wind was a crosswind. So it was not mm-hmm. ideal for him to be smelling camp. He couldn't smell camp. He couldn't smell us. Obviously, it was going... Um, perpendicular to us and the bear. Right. So it was so, great. So he just caught a scent trail and guessed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he just kept coming the way he wanted to go. Right. And I told him, I said, this bear is going to stay on the beach, on the downhill side of the grass, and he's going to walk by us at about 15 yards. And then the bear started to veer up more towards the grass once he got inside 100 yards. And I thought, oh boy, <laughs> now this thing is going to walk right towards us and he's going to be straight on at us. Well, now the problem with that was he was even playing field with us. Right. We didn't have the high ground anymore. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have any ability to shift and angle my hunter towards him for a shot. 
right without losing your cover without blowing our cover because now he's inside of 100 yards and he's staring right towards us just just sauntering along just walking and so i said he's gonna get right up on us i Mm -hmm. said you need to be ready for a very very close shot because as soon as he gets um with us upwind of him because if he continues down Mm -hmm. the beach on that line then once he gets 90 degrees from us in the wind the jig is up. Right. And now he's going to wind us at like 10 yards. And it's going to go one way or the other, Pilgrim. <laughs> and I, I whispered that. I said, yeah. when he wins us and he stands up, you either shoot or you get out of my way. Yep. He said, okay. <laughs> and so that bear get came real up. Western real quick. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You ain't kidding. And so this bear gets in and then he's 40, he's 35, and then he's 30. And he stopped. And he's looking down at us now. He's up on the high bank looking down on the other side of the berm at us. And he couldn't quite tell what we were. Neither of us were in camo. My, my client had solid brown Sitka Stormfront rain gear on for the wind. It was cold that day. I had on a, a green um, burst light jacket, just kind of that you know um, mossy green color and mm-hmm. then black rain pants. But it was, it was getting, getting close to dark. So there wasn't a whole lot of light to reflect mm-hmm. off of anything. Um, so we had that to our advantage. Um, and he stopped at 30 and I told the client, I said, he's at 30. And I said, you need to either pivot and try to shoot or this bear might turn around and walk away. Yeah. And the bear stood there and then he was right at the spot that we'd been cutting in from the beach, going into camp a lot. So that was our main foot. And he stopped there, stuck his nose in the sand and stood up on his back legs mm. and looked right at us. And I said, if you can shoot him, shoot him. If not, then just sit still. And the bear just stood up and then he took one step back, went on, went on the downhill side of the mm-hmm. beach on the other side where he should have been to begin with. He stood back up and looked again. He didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And then <laughs> blew and then turned around and kind of galloped over, turned up, came over the bank right in front of us. Again, you know, 30, 35 at that point, and then ran 30 yards past our tent. And then at that point, he got the wind of camp, and um, the jig was up. Yeah. You know, he'd, he'd winded camp. He'd smelled our tracks. He saw something was off. You know, he was too high on the bank, and he busted us. You know, it, it was great until it wasn't, um, but you can't predict what they're going to do. Yeah. You know, and, and for that situation, we were as far away as we could have been while still retaining the ability for a shot had it mm-hmm. presented itself. And so that bear got away. Uh, and that was the evening of day two of hunting. <laughs> so right away, my spirits are pretty high. Yeah. The client, the client was jacked up. He was, man, that was awesome. I mm-hmm. never thought we'd get that close. He said, that was fantastic. And this is like the very beginning of the hunt. How long were you guys scheduled to be out there for? Oh, uh, the whole season. Whole season. Two okay. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So he had lost <laughs> four or five days at the beginning. Right. Between the weather delay, getting there, and mm-hmm. then having to go out for the medevac. And then coming back, you know, lost a day to flying that day. So I yeah. think he lost a combined total of five days or so. Okay. So we had about 10 days of hunting, I, I think, somewhere around there. So, you know, day two evening, we had an opportunity, had a bear in bow range, and then um, that was that. Yeah. So that bear left, and I said, man, we didn't even have to leave camp hardly. And we had a <laughs> shooter, uh, and, and that bear was a nice bear. You know, mm-hmm. had, even if I would have climbed with a rifle, I would have told him, 
That's not a bear I'd pass. Right. You know, even on day two with a gun, as long as he wasn't looking for that magic 10 foot number, mm -hmm. he was probably low nines, could have been nine and a half. You know, it, one of those things where if he's nine foot, he's nine and a half, yeah. you know, um, but nice bear, big filled out body, big head, you know, big, um, big wide forehead. Um, he had kind of a, kind of a dark scar on his nose that I couldn't quite make out in the low light, but okay. it, it was a neat bear, just a beautiful chocolate color bear. Um, and you know, the, the, the hides on them this time of year are just pristine. Yeah. Right? They're, they're just beautiful. And so we went to bed, you know, with good spirits that night. We walked back to the camp and, uh, made some dinner and talked it over and okay, what did we do wrong? You mm -hmm. know, did we, did we make any bad mistakes there? Do, could we have done anything differently? And the answer was no. You know, we analyzed that thing six ways till Sunday and said, you know what? We did everything we could have done. We had the wind good. He just deviated from his course and just happened to go the wrong way. Right. Had he stayed 15 yards down from the grass, we would have had a point blank shot on that bear and probably would have killed him. Um, but it just didn't work. And that's just, that's, that's bow hunting. That, you know, that's, that's, that's what you sign up for yeah. when, you, when you bring a bow, period. But especially a traditional bow yeah, no where kidding. you're limiting yourself to maximum 30 yards. Mm -hmm. So a couple more days went by. We got some seriously bad weather. Um, Really overall in the hunt, as far as the weather went, we got a lot of wind. We got some really cold days. Um, it got cold enough that it was freezing the salt water back up in some of the sloughs. Oh, wow. Um, that would be, you know, two feet deep at high tide. Yeah. And then it would go down, but all, all that salt water would still sit there. That'd all be frozen solid enough to walk on by the morning. Uh, that's pretty cold. Like you wouldn't even sink into the mud. And yeah. that's salt water. So yeah, all of our Nalgene's had a bunch of ice in them every morning, and my six-liter MSR dromedary big bladder thing was half frozen one morning. It was cold. Mm -hmm. um, one night I woke up um, to uh, have a little midnight session outside, <laughs> you know, had too much water before <laughs> bedtime, and it was like three o'clock in the morning, and I stepped outside, you know, just in your long johns. Yeah. And I had my headlamp. And I turned my lamp off because all the stars were out and I realized, whoa, it is really cold. I looked at my thermometer that was on my pack and it was outside that night because it wasn't raining. And that thermometer said 10 degrees. Wow. It right. was really cold. That's cold. Um, and that next morning we saw a lot of bears too. Like yeah. They were hopping when it was cold mm -hmm. every morning. It was great. Um, but overall, we only lost a half day for a tent day overall. And that was just because that's, it was terrible fog. We couldn't even see down the beach. That's phenomenal for yeah. down, down there. Yeah, yeah. I, I told him, and, and like I said, this guy's hunted Alaska before, and he's had moose hunts where he spent days in the tent before. Oh, yeah. And I said, usually, out of a 10-day hunt, you can expect to lose four or five to just tent days. Right. Mm -hmm. no, Especially on the peninsula. That's a big Kodiak. reason you plan a 10-day hunt. Yeah. You know, is to yeah. compensate for that. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I thought we were pretty fortunate in that regard. Now we stood outside in the rain a lot mm -hmm. and got rained on um, a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't to the point that you couldn't see. You right. know, as long as we could see, we were outside yeah. and we, we were looking for bears. And, How much um, uh, shooting light did you have? Um, shooting light was, oh, now we got, you know, 45 minutes less a week. Right. Um, so over the two weeks, we lost an hour and a half of shooting light total. But I... We got up, well, let's see. I, I think we could see the beach well enough through the binoculars to look for bears by 8.30-ish or That's so, 8.15, 8.30, and then it was dark, too dark by 7.30 or 8 o'clock, something yeah. like that. 
Um, so, you know, a, sounds a good, like October. Yeah. A good <laughs> solid 12 yeah. hour day. You yeah. know, it, it wasn't bad, but it's definitely not springtime mm-hmm. where you've got daylight from 3.30 a.m. till midnight. Right. Um, and that makes for some tired people, man. That is, <laughs> man, yeah, you just want to come home and hibernate when you get home after spring yeah. bear. Um, but then you can't because the sun's out and you yeah, want to do things. Right, right. Like, yeah. And, and, and e- even on some of these 12 hour days, you know, the, the, the middle of the day, like I, I noticed a severe drop off in activity between the hours of 11 and three o'clock. Okay. Yeah. Now we didn't stay in the tent, you know, for four hours a day, mm-hmm. but we definitely took some naps, you know, through the day, you know, we were close to the tents most of the time uh, or to the tent, to the camp. And um, so we, we were able to just glass, glass, glass in the good hours of the morning and the midday mm-hmm. and go back, make a brunch, you know, eat a meal. And then um, I'd make a cup of coffee and then we'd, you know, maybe catch a, probably an hour or so. Uh, and, and that wasn't every day either, you know, so right. on, on some of the days where it was really pouring down rain, come back, hang up your rain gear in the tent, turn the lantern on, get some heat going, mm-hmm. take a little nap, and then go back at it for the evening. Right. Um, and, and I, you know, bears are kind of fair weather giants. Yeah. Um, I, I did notice a lot more of them out in the rain in the fall than I normally do in the spring. Um, and obviously, the bears still have to move when it's raining, or else they die of starvation down there. <laughs> right. Um, at some point, they have to eat in the rain. Not like bears up here, where if it's raining, you yeah, yeah, don't yeah. see any. Good luck. Usually. Yeah. Right. Um, but down there, even on this hunt, I didn't see probably more than five bears total when it was pouring down During rain and foggy. Rain. Really? Yeah. yeah. If it was really bad and stormy, we just didn't see them. Now, that's not to say they weren't moving. But they could have been more sheltered areas, correct? You know, yeah. where, where they were closer to the brush, where Moving they could somewhere else, bed down, go grab a fish, then go lay back down and eat it out of the out of the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it was partly foggy and really blowing rain and wind, um, it, it, we just didn't see that many bears. But we still tried, and, and we saw a few. It, it was worthwhile. Um, so then, pretty much just skip forward. We had a few stalks um, through the middle of the hunt. Um, we had one day where first thing in the morning. We had a little seven foot bear pop up right in front of the tent, um, (laughs) probably 40 yards, just right in front of us. I stepped out and looked and there was a bear's head looking up over the berm at me. And I couldn't (laughs) tell immediately how big it was. I just saw part of a head and an ear. So I got back in the vestibule, get your bow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so so we, we looked out at it and then the bear stood up and got up on the berm and I said, Oh, no. Yeah. He's got more hump than he does shoulders. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it was a little sal. But we went down to the point that morning to glass after we looked from the tent for a few minutes. And that bear walked all the way down the beach, probably a mile and a half away, mm-hmm. turned around and came right back. And while that bear was on his way back towards us, um, a bigger bear stepped out the other way. Right. At, at the good spot where the other big bear had come from. And he was headed down our way somewhat. And I said, we need to go cut that bear off because of the wind is good. He's coming mm-hmm. that direction. But, but I want to, I, I said, I want to cut him off before he gets to our tracks again. I want to get down past our water Creek, you know, get down a quarter mile down the beach. Cause he's that, that you think bear. This was the same bear. No, different, no, bear. different bear. Yes. Yeah. A, a little bit smaller. Uh, this client was looking for a good mature bear. Okay, so he yeah. wasn't looking, you know, he would have been happy with an eight and a half footer as long as it was a good mature bear. But he wasn't wanting um, to connect just to connect. He wanted yeah, to connect on something sure. worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I, I had told him that I didn't want to shoot a bear under eight and a half foot. Yeah. I said, if I'm not convinced that he's over eight and a half, 
then we're not even going to stalk him. Mm-hmm. This bear I figured was between eight and a half and nine, you know, okay. probably high eights. Yeah. Nice bear. Um, pretty bear. It was a boar. And, um, well, this little bear was still coming in behind us. And we had been fixated on that little bear for a while because I had said, this bear is not really afraid of us. He didn't spook in front of the tent. And I've had problems with these little guys before. Mm. Said So if he gets into like 30 yards, I'm going to start throwing rocks at this little thing because right. I don't want him hanging around camp. Mm-hmm. I don't want him chasing us down the beach. Um, these are the ones that don't know any better than to get shot. And I had told him, I said, look, you know, it, it, that's not a situation that, you, that we want to put ourselves in. And he said, well, I definitely don't want to shoot this bear even in self-defense. He said, if I have to, you know, obviously I will pitch in and help if it, if it gets dangerous. Well, then this other bigger bear stepped out, you know, a mile behind us and mm-hmm. was working our direction slowly. So I said, grab your pack. This is our golden opportunity. We can get away from this bear and we can move on a bigger bear. And hopefully this one leaves camp alone. So right as we shouldered our packs, that little bear popped out 50 yards behind us, walking towards us. And so I said, hustle, let's walk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as this bear rounds the point, we'll already be 100 yards away and he'll see us and then hopefully he'll spook and leave. Um, that didn't happen. We got past the tent, walking down towards that bigger bear, which was still three quarters of a mile away. And the little bear, I turned around and looked behind us, expecting him to be just rounding the point. Mm-hmm. It was like, 60 yards behind us. At some point, he picked up his speed big time. Wow. Behind us. And I said, whoa. I just stopped, <laughs> turned around, and I said, this is a problem. And I said, um, chamber around your handgun. And I, and I said, you know, you keep, do not turn your back. Mm-hmm. I said, at, and he said, what about the bigger bear? And I said, I don't care. Yeah. This thing is a problem, and mm-hmm. we need to fix this problem before we go deal with that one. And so that bear walked to like, uh, 40 yards of us and never spooked, never stopped walking, just would look at us and just keep walking, just look at us and keep walking. It never really gave any sign of aggression or trepidation, just kind of not didn't one care. way or the other, just did not care. Yeah. And that, that doesn't usually set well right. um, because at some point they get bold. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that bear cut out on the low tide flat below us instead of going up into the brush. He cut out in the low tide flat and headed towards the other bear. Great. So I said... <laughs> so he's going to talk to his buddy, hey, there's a couple guys yeah, back there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I said, let's go. Yeah. So now the bear is 50 yards off to our left, walking the same pace as us. <laughs> and we're walking close to the beach up by the cover, trying to stalk this bigger bear. And he's walking 50 yards away, just paralleling us the whole way. You wouldn't even look at us. And I would wave my arms. Hey, get out of here. Get out of here. Nothing. The bear just didn't care. <laughs> so we got up to a good spot where we were going to intercept this bigger bear. All they had to do was cross the, the, the salmon stream and he was going to walk right by us. And I thought, man, that, man, sweet. You know, this mm. another chance. We're only, I think that was day four or five, maybe six. And the small bear at that point, you know, walked past us when we stopped to set up for cover behind some driftwood the small bear walks over in front of the salmon creek and stood there and stopped when he saw the bigger bear the bigger bear stopped and looked at the smaller bear and they just stared at each other from like 150 yards away what follows could only be described with laughter the bigger bear being upwind couldn't even smell the smaller bear 
stared at him for like a minute and a half. Both of them just locked on. Mm. The bigger bear blew and ran off. Oh, no. (laughs) And that bear was just starting to get close to us. Mm. So, yeah, you talk about a big chicken bear. (laughs) This little dinky seven-foot sow. And seven foot is a stretch. Like, my hand was way bigger than her track. Mm -hmm. This was a little bear. Probably that spring's kickoff. (laughs) And he, that little bear ran off that bigger bear. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Like, this is, this is an adult brown bear that could kick this thing's butt in a fight. What's this thing's problem? Well, the next day we got another stalk in the exact same spot. Another bear did the exact same thing, crossed that creek and came over around that corner. We came into a good spot, got into about 90 yards of it, and then just walked the wrong way. It, at that point, it stopped and turned up the creek and just walked out of our lives forever. Mm. We couldn't get any closer on a stalk because of the wind at that point. Right. Um, we, we couldn't risk that. So um, that one, and just walked away. So at this point, we've had three bears in gun range and one at 30 yards. Okay, so we're, we're already doing pretty well. Um, the next several days were followed by a lot of bad weather, um, relatively speaking. Um, the activity kind of died down a little bit. Um, we saw them moving in the early morning and late at night when the mm-hmm. weather would kind of calm down. We, we, I, I noticed that the wind probably an hour and a half or two hours into daylight would really start ripping. Mm. It would blow all day long. And then when the sun started to go down behind the mountains, it had kind of calmed down and the bears would come back out. Um, but it was always too late to move on them. You know, it was already you know, already almost dark by that point. Right. And they were too far away. You didn't have the daylight. By the time we'd get to where we would cut them off, it was just too late. It yeah. would be too dark to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of watching bears at that point. And you're just sitting there just viewing bears, mm. you know, and just waiting for that chance because you know when the wind does calm down and switch directions and when the rain does let up and we get a nice calm morning, that'll be our shot. Yep. And all we got to do is get over on one of those salmon creeks when the wind is right and we will get our chance because Absolutely. we'd been seeing them all the time, come out of that brush, walk down the creek, and I knew where the bear trail was. I knew where we'd cut them off. Mm-hmm. I had it all planned out, but we just had to wait. And finally, second last day of the hunt, you know, it, it, it just all came together. Yeah. I woke up that morning, dead calm. Not a blade of grass was moving on the beach. The clouds were set in heavy, way up high, above mountaintop level. Nothing was blown anywhere from like 2,000 feet and down. Mm. And it was just a nice, calm day. No rain, no fog, perfect visibility. And we got up that morning and I said, this is our chance. And I said, the, the wind is very gently wisping out of those creeks into the bay. We've got a perfect wind to go over there and sit at first light at the mouth of that creek and be in position to not cut one off, but to move in on one. Right. On the bear trail, on the river. And mm-hmm. make a stalk, you know, and not just a, try to cut one off. A real stalk, yeah. Right. And so we walked over there and, um, you know, we, we, we had our waders on, you know, we were crossing these little creeks. They all stunk terrible like fish. Mm. And um, we get up to the big creek and we set our packs down. I said, we're going to glass them right here. And it, we could see right up this creek. It was right in front of us. And it looked like the African 
grass plains. Like that's what I kept picturing in my mind. You could just hear David Attenborough, <laughs> the brown bear. You know? <laughs> that's that's all I could picture, and, and, and that that was kind of the running joke the whole time. Like, man, this is just looks like Africa lion country. Wow, because the brown grass it was all dead up in that flat, mm-hmm. all surrounding that creek, and it was probably two and a half feet tall most places. Okay, yeah, um, some places much taller. But there's a lot of cuts and and washouts in there. So these bears, you'd see one move and then he would disappear and then he'd come back up. Yeah. And a lot of times you'd just see the hump and the top of the head moving. And <laughs> like it, a shark fit. It was just great. Oh it's just it's just an absolute gas. So we, I kid you not, we set our packs down and I'm looking down the beach to the river where they'd been coming up the straight stretch, and I'm looking up the creek and I'm just doing a quick pano with the binos and I said, bear. He goes, really? I said, yep, get down. The bear's 250, 250 yards away. And he's right on the edge of the alder brush. He was, he was leaving the creek and headed for the brush, mm. which is what those big ones had been doing. Where we could see them doing that from camp, but we'd never been able to be inside a quarter mile, like in their kitchen to make a move on them. And so I said, grab your bow. I grabbed my rifle. We went and crossed the creek, probably cut off 80 yards or so, maybe 100 mm-hmm. yards. Mm-hmm. And the bear kind of worked his way along the brush line towards us, um, but he was still about 150 yards away at that point, and he was going to walk away. He kept cutting in and out of the brush on a bear trail, and I said, man, he's going to walk past us. He was upwind. You know, that wasn't the issue, but he was just going to walk into the brush, and we wouldn't get a chance. I said, we can't go in there. It's too loud. We can't go in there and cut him off for a stalk. Mm -hmm. I've got to try to turn this bear. So I have a little predator call, a a little mouth call in my bino harness that I carry everywhere. Great tool. And I, I said, all right, get in position because if he comes into the call, he's going to take this trail right in front of us on the side of this cut bank on the creek where this obvious monstrous bear trail was through the grass. And um, I said, if, if he comes in, he's going to take this trail because this goes right to him. You can mm-hmm. see where it goes. And if he doesn't, then it's okay. We've, this is still early on in the morning. You know, uh, We've got plenty of morning time left. There's going to be more bears working the beach like we've been seeing them, mm-hmm. and now we're in a good position, so don't. I, I was just kind of reassuring him, but I told him, knock an arrow, get ready. You know, We're on our knees. I'm um, just, just to the right of his right shoulder and a little bit behind him and crouch down. Mm. And the grass was probably, yeah, b- probably about two, two and a half feet tall right there. So that was all of our cover. Okay. Um, which was enough. And, um, I hit the predator call and didn't even turn his head. Just, just stood there. He stopped, but he just stood there. And I thought, oh boy, well, what do I have to lose? And so (laughs) I've talked about creating a scenario when you're calling an animal. And I thought, well, and I had this thought, like, I'm trying to think, like, what, what can I do? What would make this bear interested in a predator call? Mm-hmm. And I thought, another bear might make him interested. <laughs> Maybe if he <laughs> thinks another bear has something, then he'll come in to fight for this food. Because it's, it's like the kid in daycare. Mm-hmm. Right. They're yeah. not interested in that toy until their friend grabs it. Right. right? Well, now <laughs> it's mine, you know? So you're trying to create that, that jealousy there in, <laughs> in the playpen. Um, and so I, I hit, hit the predator call again, and he turned his head. And then I just real low. And that was it. And he, 
He stood up on his back legs, <laughs> looked over, and he kind of turned his head and looked around and dropped into a dead run. No wow. kidding. Like right at us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding me. Works with coyotes and bears. <laughs> this, this thing is going to come into bow range. And I mean, he was committed. I mean, yeah. all, all you could see running through that grass was just his head and his shoulders and his hump. Head and hump. Head and hump. <laughs> just bounding through the grass. <laughs> and he stopped running at probably 100 yards or so. He disappeared, and then he popped back up. And then he started just walking. Mm-hmm. And um, close enough that I'd already kind of prearranged some stuff on that creek bank, so I knew where what distances were for shooting, because I didn't want to be moving, trying to range when he right. was... Because we were pretty exposed. Which is but something we've talked about on the show before, yeah, setting yeah, up your kill box, yeah. knowing your zones, right. knowing your ranges. And he turned broadside. I thought he was going to go down in the creek, which might have been more advantageous, um, but then he turned back and took that bear trail, just like we thought. Um, and he started walking 80, 65, 40, you know, I'm, I'm watching this through the crosshairs of my gun, you know, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the client, you know, arrow knocked fingers on the string, ready to go. Yeah. And that bear came in 27 yards. Ooh, buddy. And stopped facing us. We already had this discussion about frontal shots. Mm-hmm. I showed him the magic pocket of where to put that arrow. Mm-hmm. I said, you're going to be shooting pretty much dead level with him, with the vitals. You're not going to be shooting up, not going to be shooting down. Um, just shoot to one side of that neck if his head is down. If it's, if it's head is up and he's trying to wind us, which he's probably going to try to do, then put it right underneath of his neck, and yeah. right, right, in the, right in the middle of that chest. And um, he was comfortable with the shot. And the bear just stood there. And I said, if you're comfortable, take him. You know, obviously I'm whispering. Mm-hmm. Right. And he drew his bow back. And I thought, man, this is it. It's going to happen. And he held his draw for probably three seconds or so. And bow went off. And I watched the fletchings. You know, I, I had both eyes open, watching through the scope and then out of the scope as well. And it looked good. Yeah. It looked great. And it sailed low. Oh, no. Right underneath the bear. That's heartbreaking. And it just just shot low. And it was close enough that I think the fletchings wisped through the bottom of the hair on the bottom of the chest. Oh. It was right there. Yeah. Just right there. And, uh, you know, it, it's deceptive because at first you see those white fletchings and it looks like the fletchings are going into the bear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for just like a half second, I was like, yes, right. like in my own head, like it's, it happened. And I forgot to mention, this is probably the, one of the biggest bears I've ever seen live. Mm. Huge brown bear. Yeah. Monster. If he was 10, he was 10 and a half. Wow. Monster brown bear. Belly dragger, if I ever saw one. Yeah. Eyes looked like tiny little marbles that <laughs> looked as far apart as, as, as a human's eyes. Like mm-hmm. they looked, you know, beady little close together eyes because the head was just that big. Wow. Huge wow. old head on that thing. Ears like practically on the side of his head down by his lips. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a Mondo brown bear. 
And so, you know, back <laughs> into the shot, shot, shot under it. And the bear didn't move. Mm. Didn't, didn't, didn't stand spook, up, didn't, didn't <laughs> and then run away. Nothing. No reaction. Didn't budge. And the client, you know, he whispered under his breath or something, you know, he was frustrated. And I said, another arrow. He's still standing there. Mm-hmm. Shoot again. So he knocks another arrow. And that movement, I think, kind of triggered the bear a little bit. Gotcha. And uh, so he turned around in his tracks, didn't step away, just turned around. And um, I said, nope, just wait. You know, don't, I, I don't want to shoot him in the rear end. Just wait. I'll try to get him to turn again. And uh, he just started walking away. Mm-hmm. And that was that. Yeah. And that was the last chance we got at him. And I, I, I think I hit the call again. I, I don't remember at that point. Um, to be honest with you, it was kind of, you know, there's a little bit of frustration there. Right. Um, you, yeah. You know, he's bummed and he's, you know, it, it, it's, it's a bummer. Right. You know? It's just, but that's hunting. Right. Especially with a trad bow. You know, we, we, we were in range twice at this point and um, we had our opportunity. He released mm. an arrow and it just, just didn't connect. Yeah. And um, so anyway, the, the bear, he walked off and then he kind of turned around. I, I, I think he stood back up and looked back towards us at one point again. Um, and then he just, just slowed to a walk and then just kind of walked away and disappeared mm-hmm. in the brush forever. And, uh, so we walked back to our packs and I, but I, I do remember though, we were still on our knees behind the grass and the client turned to me and put his hand on my shoulder and just said, thank you. That was awesome. Yeah. I never thought that we would get that chance, <laughs> especially after getting a chance on day two mm-hmm. to get a chance at an even bigger bear. Because I'd told him, I said, this is a huge bear. Like, this, yeah. is, this is monster class. Like, this is about as big as they get. And uh, so he was grateful. He said, that's totally on me. You know, thank you so much. And he was just grateful as could be, which really made me have a sigh of relief. <laughs> right. Because right. You, you, can, you can take that every different direction. You know, the client could be upset and, well, how come we didn't do this? And how come we were here? And no, he just understood that everything went well until it didn't. And yeah, that's just, and, and, and that's hunting. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and anybody anybody who claims they've never done something like that mm-hmm. is either full of it or they don't hunt enough. Yeah. Because eventually, every well, hunter makes a mistake. You the, either shoot something and make a bad shot and wound mm-hmm. it and have a bad recovery or, heaven forbid, you lose it the, the, or you miss. The statement goes, if you can't tell a story about it happening to you, it's just that it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Keep hunting. Yeah. Something's going to go sideways at Absolutely. some point. So. Absolutely right. And so, so we went back to our packs. You know, obviously he's disappointed. And at that point, you know, every, every few minutes you can just tell. I, I just, you know, I'm just quiet. Just kind of let him get his head straight, you know, kind of reset mm-hmm. mentally. That, that, right. that's, that's a tough deal. And I felt terrible. You know, I, I was wishing that. And, I, and at that point, I'm questioning, like, could I have done anything different? Could we have been in a different spot and gotten him closer? And I just, there, were, there really was no better option. We yeah. were in as good a place as we could have been. Um, everything was perfect. It just didn't, didn't pan together. Mm. Um, went back over to the packs. I think we drank a little bit of water and ate a candy bar or something and um, just kind of reset. And a bear that I had seen while he was gone getting checked out for his medical thing, um, I had seen a big bear stroll by that creek, and it was a real belly dragger. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't 
it, I, I don't think it was 10 foot. It was definitely over nine, but mm. I, I don't think it was over 10. I, I, I guess it's, it's, I suppose it could have been 10, yeah. but it, it looked like a middle-class nine-foot range bear. But the characteristics of it were just, just prehistoric. Um, just about perfectly white ears. Oh, weird. Okay. Um, yeah. Just a neat looking bear. Yeah. Real light colored bear. It was a boar. Um, you, plenty of evidence of that. Um, and, uh, but it just a little bit shorter body than that big one that we missed the opportunity at there um, that morning, but still just a monster bear. Um, white claws as well. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it, it looked like it, it had kind of a, a bulldog type of a face where it was so fat and so old looking, mm-hmm. like the face just looked like an old, just an old face, kind of saggy, just kind of all just crunched up hide and just, just old looking bear. Right. And he kind of walked, a, you know, a little bit weird, pretty slow walk, didn't go mm-hmm. anywhere fast, just looked ancient. And that bear popped out down the beach by the big river, down the beach from us. About 20 minutes after that big one got away after that shot. So um, that bear, however, was in a bad spot. Um, he was walking about 150 yards out in the tide flat, down oh, off the grass bench. In the wide open. In the wide open. So no cover. There's not even a boulder out there to get behind, you know, like that classic Fred Bear video where he hides behind a boulder and a bear walks by him right. at like 20 yards. Yeah, okay. We didn't have that. Um, but we had the big grass shelf up the beach from him that was about 150 yards from where he would walk by. But again, from that distance, because I'd said earlier that the wind was just gently blowing um, out of that valley down the beach. And so we got into position up on that grass shelf, and I said, get your bow ready, knock an arrow. He's going to come by us. Um, Let's just see if I can call him up closer to the beach. I said, it's a long shot, but we're going to try it. You know, second last Mm -hmm. day of the season at this point, we don't have any other options. We've just got to take this risk. And this is another great bear. So this is bear six that we're going to get a chance at here. Um, and I, but I, I told him, I said, if we don't get him to come in from a 45 degree angle, he's going to wind us at some point mm-hmm. when he gets down of us on the beach right in front of us. And so again, you're looking at that 30 yards or closer mark. And this bear is 150 yards out from the grass line. So he gets to about the 45 degree point. He's a couple hundred yards away, just very slowly, just, you know, pudgily walking along. Looked hilarious walking. I mean, just ripples of fat, Mm. just obscenely fat bear. (laughs) And um, I hit the call at probably a couple hundred yards away and no response. Again, no interest at all. I growled again, carried on for a minute. He stopped dead in his tracks and just stared up where we were. He couldn't see us. He's he's still too far away. And we, we had good, you know, reasonably good cover in that grass. And he started walking towards us. I thought, man, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> These bears really are tricked by this growling thing. And so he made a beeline in. He wasn't going fast and he didn't run in like the other one just had. Mm-hmm. Right. But he came in and he stopped. I, he was inside a hundred um, to the point where I was starting to get pretty hopeful that this thing might actually come all the way up to the beach to check us out and we'll get another shot at this bear. 
Um, were you quiet at this point or were you still wailing? I hadn't made a noise at that point. He was still coming. You know, at that point he was keating on us. He knew what he was wanting to do. He was wanting to come up there and see what else had been killed and see if Mm -hmm. the other bear that had killed it was smaller than he was so he could eat it. Right. Um, and so he made it in, I think it was probably 85 yards or so could have been a little farther, maybe a little bit less somewhere just inside of a hundred though. And I felt the wind swirl and it kind of changed directions a little bit, hit the back of my neck and went towards Ah. him and he immediately froze, put his nose in the air and boom, turned inside out, running away. Yeah. And uh, I took a little video of him taking off across the grass flats. (laughs) He got halfway to the other Creek where the brush was and stopped which just made us laugh, like laughing out loud. And I said, he's got to stop for a breather break. He's so fat. <laughs> he's winded. <Yeah. laughs> he had to stop for a break. And then he kept running and picked it up. I guess in the video, you can just, wow. see, just see the ripples just rippling as he's mm-hmm. running and grabbing sand going across the beach. And, uh, it, it, you know, all in all, we were in gun range of six bears of nine foot class or better yeah and recurve range of two that's amazing you know in 10 days of hunting that we had that's we only lost a half day in the tent and we saw an obscene amount of bears yeah like i i, I yeah it, it, it was crazy <laughs> it was triple digits yeah well in the triple digits of bears that's amazing so you know the client um client decided that uh, that next day was the last day of the season and uh there, there was some weather moving in the day after season when we were supposed to get flown out and uh so we looked at the weather forecast and he said you know it might not be a bad idea you know i've got my flights and what do you think about getting out here tomorrow after the morning hunt if we break down camp mm-hmm. and try to get out of here while the wind is good to land here and right. get out back to base camp and then back to anchorage at some point on the charter and um I said, man, that's up to you, but it's not a bad idea because it's routine to get stuck out here for several days past the season closing because the weather just changes, you know, just that fast and then you're stuck. Right. So, uh, we hunted the next morning, didn't see a single bear. Um, you know, it was not an ideal morning, but not a bad morning either, but just one of those days that slow morning. Um, but we tried, you know, up at, you know, I, I think we had all of our personal stuff packed and in our packs and duffel bags before even shooting light. And then yeah. all we had left was the tent to break down. And I was in, in, I was in touch with base camp to get out of there. We were planning on a midday extraction so we could hunt the morning and try to get another chance. And, um, we hunted that morning and then, uh, broke down the tent and got back to camp middle of that day. So we ended up sacrificing the last evening. Um, uh, but you know, turns out the next day the pilot went to fly out the other camps and he flew over our spot at some point during the day and said um yeah you guys would have been stuck there yeah so you made the right call i i wouldn't be able to get you today and the weather's forecast to be the exact same wind direction for mm -hmm. the next three days yeah so we would have been stuck there for at least four extra days past season so i'll I'll miss an evening hunt for that sure not have to deal with that (laughs) And, and, and you know his his attitude was very grateful you know he said Look, I've already had several great chances. I didn't expect to get that close more than once, let alone, you know, twice. Right. And then have several opportunities like that of, of inside of 100. And stalks just, you know, the bear just walked off and just missed that opportunity. Nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Um, so he said, you know, knowing that I've had my opportunities, I'm content with how this went. He said, I had my chance. I, I did what I came here to do, and that was to get an opportunity at a brown bear with my recurve. 
And I did that. That's and such so, a great attitude to yeah, have. I, I, I mean, that, I, that just embodies, yeah. you know, what hunting is yeah, about. The experience. You know, yeah. The it, experience. It, yeah. If, if you, <laughs> yeah. And, and especially a, a hunt that yeah. costs that much, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to understand what you're signing up for. So. Yeah. Um, that sounds like just, just an amazing, amazing experience. Um, let's take a real quick break, Mo, and then I want to I wanna ask some details. All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. All right. So earlier in the in the episode, you talked about the tent that you brought out there. Mm, yeah. um, the what Bar- was it? Yeah, it's called the Barney's Bomb Shelter. The Bomb Shelter. Okay. Yeah. Now you'd mentioned it was uh, discontinued. Mm-hmm. Did they replace that with anything else that's comparable, or what? What no. would the most comparable available tent be to something that strong? Arctic oven. Arctic oven. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Arctic oven makes a tent very similar to it okay. with that four pole design. Um, so that there's four, four corners of the tent uh, mm-hmm. of, of the floor footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and they made a few different sizes from what I understand. Uh, I think I've always at the different camps that I've been at now that have had bomb shelters. Um, I think they've all been this, it's, I, you could probably call it a four man, but in reality, it's got enough room for a cot on each side and mm-hmm. then, um, Probably three feet in between, so it, it's it's kind of tight. Well, anybody that's used a tent understands the difference between mm-hmm. sure what it says, how many people it sure. says it's rated versus yeah, reality. Exactly, especially when you so, account for gear. So that one has it again. It, it's got like one inch conduit type poles, so that you know it's not a lightweight tent. I think it's 35, 40 pounds or so with, yeah. with the rain fly and the poles. Um, but it goes together easy and it goes together fast. Mm-hmm. You can set up. You can set it up by yourself relatively quickly and not have it just get totally soaked mm-hmm. and the arctic ovens are comparable in weight i mean they're, yeah. they're yep. same yep. about 30 30 yep. pounds plus honestly depending on which model you get yeah yeah uh, sure i've um, seen some up in the 70 pound range oh boy yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so this one was made by eureka i i think all those old bomb shelters were actually made by eureka for barney's back mm-hmm. in the day they discontinued it. Um, I've heard a bunch of different reasons as to why. I'm sure cost and you know the the special. Um, it, it's just a very specialized demand for that tent. So mm-hmm. you're you're selling to a very small market of of consumers for that tent. And so I I don't know if it was just a money issue or if Eureka right. stopped making that one. So Barney's just never pursued the design with somebody else. I keep hearing rumors about it being you know, revamped and brought back for Barney's to make that tent again. Mm. Um, I'll tell you right now, as soon as I hear about it, I'm going to buy one. Those are great tents. They are called a bomb shelter for a reason. I mean, they yeah. can handle 
they they handle the wind better than any, better than anything else I've ever used before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've used the Cabela's six man um, guide series tent that that dome style with the um, what is it six poles I think six um, uh, I think it's six, no yeah. six or seven anyway it's seven yeah. including the one that goes in the fly depending on which one you have yes you're right uh, and then I've also used the Cabela's Instinct which those you know throw them away I, those are <laughs> really I, I got no use for those in the wind i, I just oh, I, really? i've i've had a couple of them that i've used now and i i don't like them in, in the wind they mm-hmm. are not as good in the wind as even the guide is and even the guide compared to the bomb shelter yeah is just amateur hour like that bomb shelter does not move when you've got it staked out right and pinned to the ground and those poles there's no flex the sides don't bow in on you. Like it is a rigid little cabin of fabric. That's nice. awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's the tent that we use. So if you find a used one, definitely jump on it. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. They're hard to find. Not oh, many I, guys want to get rid of them and for I good reason. If you know what you've got, you don't get rid of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so break down, you know, you just told a, a really awesome story of all kinds of success out there as far as getting close, close to bears. With the heartbreaking yeah. component of missing a shot. Yeah. Um, happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just a thing. It's part yep. of the game. Yep. It's, it's part of hunting. That's why it's called hunting, not killing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know. Um, you should coin that. So yeah. break down uh, kind of what are the typical scenarios that that happens in. For mm-hmm. archery, for archery, yeah. As far as if so, so if somebody's listening to this yeah. episode, and let's just say they're yep. super hyped up, they want to go out there. Yep. Um. You know what? What have you seen in your experience? You've, you've done. You grew up doing quite a bit of trad bow. Yeah. Um. You've killed bo- bears with trad bow. Mm-hmm. Um. So kind of kind of break everything down there as far as. Yeah. Um. Let's just start with the basics. Yeah. I I started shooting a bow since really as far back as I can even remember. Um, my granddad owned a big archery shop back in the day, championship archer, um, never shot with sights, didn't think it was, you know, necessary. He was just that good. Um, when compounds first came out, he shot a compound with a finger tab and no sights and shot a bunch of stuff with it. When compounds got too fast or too gizmo and built up and when the, when the angle of the string got too tight to shoot with fingers, Mm -hmm. when you Mm -hmm. had to use a release. He went back to a recurve. Mm. Um, so I, I, I had a very rich family history, if you will, of yeah. growing up with shooting a trad bow. And um, I, I remember like my earliest memory of shooting a bow was my dad correcting me on my form and then taking my bow away <laughs> because wow. I was snap shooting. Yeah. Because I'd seen it on some hunting videos. Um, Fred Bear, I'm sure. And, you know, Fred Bear and anybody who's ever watched a Fred Bear film uh, and, and not to, you know, not to take a shot at, you know, the master himself, you know, right, Fred yeah. Bear is probably single-handedly responsible for the revival of traditional bow hunting right. in, oh, in modern large American times. Yeah. Um, and he did a lot of great things and he, he killed a lot of stuff, but his style was instinctive shooting only. There was not really an aiming process. Instinctive archery is learning by repetition. Right. Yeah. And so you just shoot and shoot and shoot. And eventually what it comes down to is it's just muscle memory. Yeah. And so you just learn where to point that bow over and over and over again. And so when that shot goes off, you know, you've already aimed, 
subconsciously, they say. Mm-hmm. And so you just focus on what you want to hit. You just focus and you just burn a hole through that where you want to hit. And then you just pull the bow back. And when Fred Bear would shoot, you know, he'd get back close to his mouth and then it would just go off and he'd yeah. let it go. And there, there was no, it, it's what you call a floating anchor point, which really isn't an anchor point at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- that was always something that growing up, that was taught from a very early age that form in archery is what makes you competent or an amateur. Yeah. Because you need every bit of your draw length to take advantage of your draw weight. Mm-hmm. If you pull a 55-pound bow to 30 inches, then you get your full draw length if your draw length is 30 inches. If you pull that 55-pound bow at 30 inches back, and you don't pull it all the way back, and you pull it to 28 and a half, and then you let it go in front of your face, right? and you snap that arrow off, well, the average trad bow averages somewhere in the realm of two and a half to three pounds per inch of draw length. Okay. So you're potentially losing six pounds right. of draw weight if you short draw that bow. So you're shooting too heavy of an arrow for that draw weight. Right. And so you lose all that speed. So now instead of shooting a 55-pound bow, if you short draw by two inches, which is, which is a lot. You yeah, know, it is. But yeah. it, just for drastic example, you're losing six pounds potentially of draw weight, mm-hmm. which that makes a big difference. It might not make a big difference at 10, 15 yards where you look like Fred Bear in the backyard, you know, shooting Coke bottles and, you know, maybe you shoot a few grouse or rabbits at close distances. Yeah. But the minute you try to shoot an animal at 25 or 30 yards, well, that's a big difference. Right. And that little bit of draw weight makes a massive difference in the trajectory of that arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- just from an early age, it was taught to me and you know it, it was a discipline that you shoot like this you come back to full draw you have an anchor point and you anchor here you know and i i grew up shooting split finger using the index finger at the corner of my mouth on on i had i have one of my teeth that i kind of anchored on with that finger yeah and then the base of my thumb knuckle would kind of rest behind my jaw and that was kind of my two spot anchor point so i knew that i couldn't short draw mm-hmm. and be right. at that point. So you pull back, aim, and I, I, I kind of developed kind of an aiming system using the gap theory. Okay. And so the gap method of shooting a traditional bow is, again, by repetition, mm-hmm. but you're not just relying on muscle memory of how high or low to hold that bow. You're, you are learning the distances between the tip of your arrow and your target. Right, right. And so the farther away you are, the closer to where you want to hit, you want to hold the point of that arrow. So the higher you hold that tip. Mm-hmm. So it's almost the inverse of the string walking method. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I shot with kind of that, that gap method a lot as a kid. Um, and eventually I got to the point where I developed some bad habits. You know, as I got to be a teenager, um, obviously, you know, there gets to be less and less parental supervision over your hobbies as, as a teenager. <laughs> right. um, and, I, and I developed awful target panic mm, with, with a bow. Really? And I, well, when I moved back to the States yeah. as a teenager, I shot my recurve hunting with Mariah a lot. And we'd go to that, uh, that old range in North Pole, mm-hmm. the indoor range back, mm-hmm. when, back when that was still there by the dive shop. And we would shoot and he had his compound and I had my recurve. 
and the bales were 20 yards away. And I'd struggled to put two arrows in the piece of paper at 20 yards. Right. I was awful. You know, I remember that. I remember you. I like, was just, just terrible. Like, Man, what's going on? And I, I couldn't get it down. And I knew what I had to do. I knew that I just had to hold that anchor point and just right. concentrate and just get through that and then follow through and hold it at full draw and really aim the bow. But I just kept, I'd get back to my, I'd hit that index finger in the corner of my mouth and boom, the shot would just go off. I had no mental control over my shot process. And it really bothered me. Well, then I hurt my shoulder um, oh, right. a, a couple of years later. I couldn't shoot my recurve for about a year and a half. So yeah. that bow just sat taken apart in my case for almost two years. When I got it back out, I shot split finger and I just couldn't get the gap method down again. I could not do it. Yeah. Um, and I shot hundreds of arrows in my backyard. And, you know, by this time, I'm, I'm trying to get back into bow hunting. I ended up quitting and bought a compound. <laughs> shot a bear well, of the compound I, that summer. I do remember in that in that time period there somewhere coming over to your house, and I had my compound. You're like, hey, bring your, bring your bow. Yeah. It probably was before you hurt your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yep. And you're like, hey, bring your bow. Let's shoot, right? Yep. And, you know, we were setting up targets at 20, 30 yards, you know, like, yep. and I, I pointed at something on a rip dirt bank or something and said, hey, let me shoot that. And you're like, oh, that's a small target. And I just pulled back and I shot it. Like, what, what yeah. do you mean? Yeah. And I said, well, you want to try? And yeah. you shot it. And you'd never shot a compound before. Nope. Never shot a compound. And you, he turned to me and he's, James, he turned to me and he said, that's like a Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think, I'd never <laughs> shot something like that before, but I yeah. thought, man, and this I is, think that was probably like a turning point sweet. in your mind a little bit about how nice that was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You still had that family pride a little bit, but. Oh yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's still a nice family heritage to have. And I still mm-hmm. love shooting my recurve. So anyway, to fast forward, um, I bought a compound. I bought my father-in-law's old bow, shot a bear with it that summer. And, um, and then I ended up buying a brand new compound that year. That was a few years ago now. And then I got my recurve back out seriously last year. Yeah. I'd been shooting a compound a lot over the last couple of years. And I got the recurve back out last year because I, I'd shot a bunch, you know, I was, I was pretty proficient. You know, when I was shooting my compound a bunch, I had no problem shooting my target in my backyard out to like 80 yards. Right. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm by no means the world's best compound shooter. I'm sure our friend Brad Ivy could take me to school, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I was plenty good enough to hunt with it and, you know, more than good enough to hunt with it. Um, and I enjoyed shooting some local 3d stuff in the summertime. And I, mm-hmm. you know, did a little bit of competitions with that, just local stuff. And it was fun. Yeah. It's a very precision, I'm sorry, a very precise form of archery that there's an element of precision that. I had never had with a trad bow before. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I need to find this precision with my recurve. It can be done. I know there are guys out there that do it. Yep. Um, I need to figure this out. I need to, Mm -hmm. you know, knock the dust off the recurve, string it back up. I went and got some new arrows down at um, Screaming Eagle. Went down there and talked to Andrew. Um, Switched arrows, got some full metal jackets and some trad veins. Um, you know, redid the knocking point, kind of adjusted everything to shoot those new arrows off the shelf. And I switched to shooting three fingers under, mm-hmm. the, uh, under the arrow. So I could bring the arrow shaft up closer to my eye. Yeah. So the difference is when you shoot split finger and you anchor with your index finger on the corner of your mouth, that puts the arrow shaft down here below your bottom lip. Mm-hmm. And so the gap difference at 20 yards, I mean, you're holding way underneath your target at 20 yards. Yeah. So those gaps are so big. Now, 
The advantage is your point on target aiming point with a gap method is probably out to like 50 or 60. But I don't usually shoot that far with a recurve mm-hmm. right, as, right. as far as hunting goes. I, I wouldn't shoot that far. It's just not something I want to do. Um, so I thought, well, inside of 40 yards, which is probably what I would cap myself at if I'm in good form is 40 yards, where is the best place to shoot and anchor so that I can get that gap smaller? So I have smaller adjustments in right. my gap shooting. So I shot three fingers under and I anchored my middle finger in the corner of my mouth and mm-hmm. the knuckle behind my jaw. And so that brings the arrow up, like right underneath your eye, up on your, up on your cheekbone there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that changed my shot night and day. Yeah. Now, I still had a problem with snap shooting a little bit. So I went down and got a clicker at the archery shop, which you go to full draw, and then you have to pull, 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 and like stretch past a little bit. And then when that click goes off, You've already aimed. You're already anchored for several seconds. Yeah. When the click goes off, then that lets you know now you can shoot. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that existed. And I kid you not, in a week of shooting 50 arrows a night, I was shooting my recurve at 50 yards in a pie plate. Yeah. I'd never been able to do that before. Never with that kind of consistency. So I guess that's a roundabout way of talking about form and what can be done versus what a lot of people look at traditional archery in the bounds of 20 yards or less. Right. And there's so much more potential that's there with good form. Mm -hmm. The number one thing that guys do in the moment is they get target panic. Yeah. Whether it's a white-tailed deer or an Alaska brown bear or a moose. Caribou. That's my story. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is no wall on a compound to get past, mm-hmm. you you don't shoot a compound like a snapshot. You can't. Right. It's it's physically impossible. You have to get the full draw, look through the sight. You can still punch the trigger, which is target panic. Yeah. yeah. But you have to get the full draw. On a recurve or a longbow, guys just get tunnel vision and they just all they see is the animal. They forget about their form. They get back to here and then they just boom. Let the shot go. Yeah. And they just, they never get the full draw. They never get their back tension lined up. They don't even, they don't even settle into their aiming point. Mm-hmm. They just black out. Right. And it's, it's a mental thing mm-hmm. and it's really magnified with traditional archery. Right. There's somebody out there that's doing a lot of work in that realm and that's Joel Turner. He's got, uh, look him up on Instagram. He's Joel Turner Shot IQ. Mm-hmm. And he's got courses that you can oh, really? buy. Um, He's, he does classes for target panic. He does them for, um, for firearms, does them for compound bows, and he does them for trad bows. Now, he specializes in trad bow shooting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's trained a lot of guys. It, it's a mental course where it teaches you to go through your process. So the, mm-hmm. the number one thing that you hear about guys that make a mistake on a hunt of a lifetime or missing a turkey in their backyard in Kansas right. with a trad bow they just get target panic. Yeah. And it's a trad bow is all on you, man. You got no excuse but yourself. Yeah. Um, you don't have a sight to blame. You don't have a scope that could be off. <laughs> right. It's just you. Right. Yeah. It's just you and that bow. And there is a purest, I hate to use this word, but <laughs> there, there's a beauty to traditional archery. Oh, absolutely. And when you yeah. do it right, and you watch that arrow sail into your target, whether it's 15 yards in the backyard mm-hmm. or 40, that high arcing arrow, it's just something special because you know when the arrow goes where you want it to go, you did that. Right. right. Your sight didn't do that. Your bullet didn't do that. 
Your trigger didn't do that. That is you. Right. Your fingers released that string physically. You pointed that bow where you wanted it to go. It is all up to you. Right. There's no amount of outside force involved mm-hmm. with that. And so that there's a lot of reward when it works out, but there's a lot of heartbreak when it doesn't. You right. know, I um, early on in bow for me, I started with a small little, I don't remember what brand, one of those little youth bows, mm-hmm. par- a Parker. I think it was a Parker. Oh, yeah, youth. yeah, yeah. And when I first started shooting it, I was fine. Yeah. But I was right in those growth spurt years. Right. Right. I mean, you know, I was shooting a lot of other cheap bows before that, but my dad finally bought me a halfway decent yeah. compound for that one. And I went and did the, um, the, the archery shoot with it and barely passed, you know, by the skin. For of your team. hunter's ed. For my hunter's yeah. ed. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That you, it's required in the state of Alaska. Nice piece of information. You can't just yeah. go st- buy a bow and start shooting it. <laughs> right. You know, I know people like, oh, I need to shoot my bow so I can go hunt. And I just remind them like, you need to get your hunter's ed. You yeah. need to get your archery's ed if you're going to do that. Um, I'm afraid of, you know, some of these people just like, oh, I'm going to buy a bow and I'm going to shoot it and I can barely hit the target. So I'm going to go hunting with it. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, wounding yeah. a critter. But that yeah. that aside, um, I, so, so I switched from the Parker, which was too short for me right after that. And as soon as I started shooting that, com- the bigger compound, yeah, it was immediate difference. I was yeah. a lot better. Yeah. But then at some point I got target panic. Mm. I was punching the trigger and it wasn't just punching the trigger. It was, um, like I would pull away, which is part of punching the trigger, but mm. even with a compound target panic. Oh you know, yeah. It, oh, it's a very real The thing. more primitive you know, it's not completely accurate because it is a compound bow, but the more primitive you go mm-hmm. in what you're shooting, yep. the less forgiveness there is yeah, you're for exactly your right. form. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, I was, I'm shooting a, um, I'm, 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 I've got a 30-30. It's, it's factory irons. It's an old Marlin. I don't even want to change the irons. It's my old, my grandpa's rifle. Yeah. I just want to shoot it like it was made. Yeah. So I'm going to practice with that thing to get it dialed in. And already what I've been able to do now versus what I was able to do a few years ago, just because every time when I pull the trigger, Know the trigger on it, not great. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. It's not as bad as the one on my forty-five seventy, but it ain't great. Yeah. But if you just consistently, it's a lot longer between shots than say on my Tika, right? Because right? with a right. good trigger, you can you can do go yeah. through all the same motions a lot quicker. Yeah. But when you've got to apply, you know, ten pounds of pressure <laughs> to right. make a trigger go off, yeah. and do it by accident, yeah. yeah, right, and do it, yeah, without anticipating it, right. But you, 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 you put the time in, yeah. in in practicing that. The more primitive the weapon, the more error there is. And that's yeah. why it's so, you know, so hard for people to do it. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I had to work through it with a compound to where I just had to basically restart. Okay, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And focus on not doing that. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so obviously there's the form to focus on. Mm-hmm. Is there any other major issues that people run into traditionally when they're using uh, a bow like this on a brown bear hunt on any kind of hunt really but i mean like to to avoid obviously right. having issues on a brown bear hunt sure but, but you know ultimately like as long as you've got your form right is is that I focusing mean, on the wrong spot focusing on the wrong spot yeah, yeah. Mm. i know a guy that had a client shoot a brown bear in the head with his bow accidentally <laughs> yeah um, it's one of those things like when you're, yeah. Yeah. I, and I've actually, I, I know maybe, maybe two or three guys that have had that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them has talked about it on their podcast that folks may or may not have heard, but uh, the story from my friend that had that happen, this was, this is a number of years ago now. Um, they had a, they had a brown bear fishing in a creek right below them. Bear was like 10 yards away, mm-hmm. like right underneath of them or above it. Um, it was, 
late evening or so, had the drop on the bear, perfect situation. The bear was busy running around the creek fishing. Bear stopped at 10 yards, turned broadside, and the client had a compound. Came to full draw, held it, held it, held it, waiting for the bear to turn. Bear turned, then he turned his head up and looked up at him on the bank, kind of over his shoulder. And the the guide said, I watched that bow swing over to that bear's head and go (laughs) off. He said, because the client looked at the bear's head. (laughs) Right, Right, yeah. Right. The bear turned his head, the client went... Look at the bear's head. Yeah. Bow drifted over. Trigger went off <laughs> subconsciously. So did he kill the bear? No. No. Bullets yeah. killed that bear. Yeah. Unfortunately, man. And, and like I said, that there's an. I just listened to another podcast yesterday where a well-known bow hunter guide um, on the Kodiak Peninsula area had the exact same thing happen. I was huh. laughing so hard when I heard him say that. Wow. I thought, man, I, I know somebody else that had the exact you know, same thing happen. That's just crazy. One of the best movies ever made. The Patriot, right? Okay. Opening, oh, one of the opening scenes of that movie when the action really is kicking off okay. is when um, the oldest son, sorry for spoilers, but it's an old movie. You haven't seen it by now. <laughs> now, who's in The Patriot? Is that Tom Hanks? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to say, right? Uh, you know, um, yeah. One of the best movies ever made. Uh, but anyhow, <laughs> one of the opening scenes, like I said, when the action's really going to start happening, yeah. the uh, oldest son of the main character okay. is captured by the Redcoats. Mm-hmm. Okay? And they're coming by, you know, the farm on a trail. So he sets up to ambush the Redcoats and he's got his two young boys, like young boys. Does he have a trad bow? No, he's flint <laughs> locks, right? <laughs> I'm just wondering how this fits in. And here. anyhow, well, it, it's, I'm getting to it. Okay. Okay. And uh, it, his sons have like, they look like they're like 10 or 10 and eight. Okay. Real young. Yeah. And they're setting up like, he tells them, here's rifles. Don't shoot till I shoot. Mm. So the boys are sitting there, you know, lining up, leaning over a log and just following the redcoats walking down the road. And you hear the boy whispering to himself, aim small, miss small, aim small, miss small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as soon as his dad fires, yeah. he fires and he, you know, he shoots the head up, head, shoots the head of a redcoat, which probably about knocked it off like it did in the movie. <laughs> right. Those lead balls flat. Yeah. Well, you know, Tom <laughs> Hanks can shoot a musket. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, man. Anyhow, of course <laughs> I know it's not Tom Hanks. Him and his two boys give, and Wilson. I just have to give Mariah <laughs> a hard time because I know he loves that movie. So, but but you aim small, miss small. Right. It, you hear right. it a lot, but yeah. that's what that means. You aim for a dot. Yeah. You pick a hair. Mm-hmm. Right. If you aim for a hair and you hit the hair next to it or you hit five hairs over, yeah. big deal. Yep. And you aim for a whole bear. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're in trouble. Exactly. Right. You're in right. trouble. Yeah. People just get focused. <gasps> and especially when you're in trad right. bow range, you know, because you're just that close. Oh, and yeah. I, I got home and I was telling my wife the stories and even her response. And she's been around a lot of bears, but never that close to those big coastal bears. And she just said, how does that feel? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I don't really know. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> focused on doing my job. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? and, and I'll give my client all the credit in the world. I, and I know it's easy to it's easy to sit and be the armchair quarterback and just tell the story oh, and, mm-hmm. and people can pick it apart and say, well, he must have done this or he must have done that. Well, you weren't there. I right. was. Yeah. And I observed him on two close encounters of 30 yards and under of two big bears, both of which stood up right? You know, and peered down their long snout at us like, what in the world? From nine feet in the air. <laughs> yeah. Is that a stick you're holding? You know, that, that, but 
the client, my hunter was as calm as a cucumber. Mm. Yeah. Like, however calm the cucumbers are, you know, <laughs> he was, he was a level below that. Like, yeah. he was just rock absolutely solid. solid. He, yeah. He wasn't shaking violently. You know, I've, I've had guys with guns at 150 yards freak out more than he did, mm-hmm. which was none. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any fear. And he said that a few times after the first bear encounter on the second day where we had that one at 30 close to dark there. He told me that night in the tent, he said, you know, you never know how you're going to react when you get that close to that kind of an animal. But I wasn't afraid. Yeah. I just, I felt like you had my back. I was going to get a shot if he came any closer. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't, then he'd just run away. I, I wasn't afraid. Right. That's Man, the way you have to be. That's great because yeah. you start letting fear and anxiety and people just let their mind go right. crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people like to drum up, well, this bear was charging us and he was coming for us. And yeah. there's a whole lot of those stories out there in Alaska that are a bunch of nonsense. And it's just dramatized for TV. Yeah. And, and, and there's plenty of good ones out there that have been through it and that are really telling the truth. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but a bear running in your direction is not necessarily charging. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there that would have freaked out with that little seven footer um, walking 40 yards away from us. Yeah. That bear did not care what we were doing. Yeah. Just no fear. But had we responded in, you know, Freaking out and doing weird things mm-hmm. and making erratic judgment decisions. You never know how that's going to change their attitude. Mm. And that, that can trigger that predator-prey response. Um, so, yeah, having a cool head is necessary. Somebody wrote an article about that. <laughs> Somebody yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On the Northern Hunter www. See if that gets a few more clicks now. What was that one called? Was it Alaskan Hunter's Thought and Fear of Bears? Yeah, something by, like that. Uh, something like that. Written yeah. by written by Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'd have more clicks, if- <laughs> <laughs> right? But yeah. no. So yeah. So keeping your form correct. Yeah. You know, obviously, yeah. is paramount. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the biggest thing. Knowing your equipment. Yep. Training and practicing. Yep. Um, keeping your level head. Aim small, miss small. Right. Yep. All that stuff should get you a pretty good, pretty yep. good shot on a bear. Yep. What would you say for people listening? Um, if they're wanting to do something like this, or if you were to go do something like this, I will, which I'm sure you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, what trad bow setup would be your recommended setup for a situation of this caliber? You need to be able to practice consistently shooting a pie plate at 50 yards. Mm. If you can't put two out of three arrows and the third one on the edge, at minimum, in a pie plate at 50 yards with your trad bow, don't go hunting with it in Alaska. Mm. That's not because you're going to take a shot on an animal at 50 yards, mm-hmm. but it's because that comfort at 50 is going to make 20 or 30 seem like a chip right. shot. It gives you the confidence at closer it's ranges. It's the same thing as guys that shoot long range with a gun. N- number one, you never want to shoot at an animal past where you've actually shot that gun on paper <laughs> or steel. Right. But if you are good and you can competently shoot a rifle at a quarter mile, then when the animal of a lifetime steps out at 250, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, you're right? not even worried about it. If you can shoot steel at 1,000, a quarter mile is no-brainer. 500 right. yards is not even that hard. Right. Um, so being able to practice well past your comfort zone Number one, 
That's where you expose your bad form. Yeah. Nobody cheats at 50 yards of the trad bow. It's impossible. Right. You, you can't do it. If you have bad form, it'll mm-hmm. show up. Mm-hmm. And I haven't shot my recurve much in the last three months. I shot it yesterday um, after I got home. Um, I shot probably 30 or 40 arrows through it. And I can use some touch-up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, that's another thing. Is it's a perishable skill. Oh, it is, sure. It's really very is. physical. You know, there's, no, there's no sight. There's no release. There's no repeatability outside of you. Right. You have to stay in with that skill. Um, so yeah, practice past where you're going to be shooting. Um, and, and you know, if you can't shoot at 50, at least 40. Yeah. If you can shoot 40 yards somewhat well and competent and you're not getting crazy flyers all over the place, um, if you can shoot a pie plate at about 40 yards, maybe 45, if you can, 50, mm-hmm. um, then you're going to be so much better equipped to make that 30-yard shot or 35 or... 20 under high stress, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So practice, 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 but don't box yourself in and listen to all of the trad bow hunting media out there that says a traditional bow is a 20-yard tool. Mm -hmm. That's baloney. It is far, far more effective than that. Don't short that equipment like that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's guys like Saxton Pope and Art Young that have stories in their books of shooting elk and deer and things like that. 70, 80, 90 yards. Yeah. Right? You know, and they, because that's just all they did. They just shot their bows. There's a reason why it's called the Pope and Young Club because those guys <laughs> right. were like the original, the original mm-hmm. trad bow guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, practice. Yeah. Practice a lot. With a compound, if your comfort range on a bear or a moose is 50, shoot at 80. Yeah. You know, push yourself. That way, when you get that chance at 40, it's a no-brainer. Yep. You're, you're going to mm-hmm. sink that arrow right where it needs to go. Um, practice shooting under physical duress. Run from your target, mm-hmm. from your bow to your target, yank your arrows, run back, don't stab yourself with an arrow, mm-hmm. <laughs> get back to your bow at 60, 70 yards as fast as you can, and then shoot all those arrows. Right. Get yourself out of breath Do and that shoot. after you're consistent yes when you're when yes you, like, right right when, yeah. when i get my bow out to touch up yeah i might take several hours to do it but i shoot one arrow i shoot i walk to the target i pull the arrow i yep. walk back mm-hmm. i let myself calm down yep. i shoot again and i'll do right. that and i'll take if i feel my arms getting tired i'll take a 15 minute break oh yeah so that way i'm just yep because if you if you run like that mm-hmm. and you haven't shot oh, in a couple yeah, of years yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you're gonna you're not gonna have form right no no no, no. but but after yeah. you're all dialed exactly. in you've got your kit dialed in Practice shooting under physical stress because you don't need to be um, a 5K runner to kill a brown bear. You need to be a 100-yard dasher. Yeah. Because it's going to be oftentimes that last 100 yards Mm. that I can book it, but the client sometimes has a hard time. And Mm -hmm. so I've got to keep pace with him and not run ahead of him. But that 100 yards, closing that distance is the difference between you getting an opportunity and not. Yeah. So you need to be comfortable with Hustle, 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 because when your guide says go, man, you better be able to go, because mm. you might only get one chance. We were blessed and fortunate to get that many opportunities at those big bears. Yeah. That is not every bow hunt for right. brown bears, not by a long shot. Chuck Adams hunted on the peninsula back in the 80s and killed his brown bear on like day 14. Yeah. And he got one opportunity and made good. You know, you might only get one chance. You might get none, mm-hmm. but you better be ready. mm 
Um, so yeah, practice while under physical duress. Now, one thing we, we teach, you know, we talk about this with shooting a rifle is yeah. practicing in different positions. Yes. Practicing yes. prone, mm. practicing supported, practicing, you know, kneeling, yeah. practicing sitting, yeah. all these different positions you may find yourself in yep. on a rifle hunt. Yep. Same concept with a trad bow. better be able to shoot from your knees. Yeah. Sometimes from your butt. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a long bow. Um, you know, most recurves, even the short ones are 60 inches. Yep. At least you have a long draw length. Um, you better be able to shoot with that bow canted over at an angle. Mm. If you're going to be sitting down and you're sitting there eating a snack and a brown bear walks right up to you and you don't have time or the ability to get up on your knees without spooking him off, if you can't shoot from your butt, that might be your shot. Right. You might not be able to shoot if you can't do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, practice standing, practice standing torqued around behind you. If the bear moves and you can't move your feet, mm-hmm. practice from your knees, practice from either knee, both knees on your knees, rested back on your heels, you know, practice from every position that you can, that you can imagine being in a hunting situation. Yeah. That'll help you out a lot. Yeah. Um, My dad is uh, headed down to hunt whitetails and he's got a, mm-hmm. uh, he's trying out, what's that new uh, tree saddle? Oh yeah. Right. He, he won every night he gets home. He uh, puts on his gear, he gets his bow, he go, climbs the tree, pulls his yep. bow up, yeah. goes through the motions, does, you know, empties his quiver into a target, Yep, climbs down, he just does that every night. Yep. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Because he's never, you know, yeah, he shot a bow for, you know, 50 years, mm-hmm. but, or almost 50 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's 50 something years old, so <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, just about 50. Anyhow, so probably almost 50 years, right, but. That doesn't mean, you know, he's never shot out of a tree saddle before, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So he's practicing, putting yeah. the effort in. Yeah. You know, and one final story for me to back up everything you said about form and practice. <laughs> yeah. My first real bow hunt was uh, was North Slope Caribou. Mm. Um, you know, not a big secret, right? Yeah. But getting up there and hunting the hall road for bow, for caribou with bow. Yeah. And uh, my dad took me up and he said, hey, you know, like distance is very deceiving up here, mm-hmm. you know. Like, you know, he, you know, he had a rangefinder, but practice on the way up, like you're, you know, when he wasn't using the rangefinder while he was hunting, he gave it to me so I could just look at stuff and gauge and try to get an idea in my head. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I was competent to 40, 50 yards easy at that time. Very competent. And mm-hmm. I shot that regularly when I was at home. But, you know, I saw the first herd of caribou running past me, you know, and a lot of times that's, you know, when they're close enough, that might be the shot you're taking when they're trotting past you is following a caribou and shooting. Mm-hmm. But I did wrong, right? I didn't think about my form. I kind of estimated how far away they were from me, but without really thinking about it. And I didn't aim small. Mm-hmm. I aimed over their backs. Shot for the flock. And shot, <laughs> literally shot for the herd. Yeah. <laughs> and... I remember thinking, because my dad was like, yeah, I aimed at, you know, I saw a cow and I aimed at it and I thought, you know, and like t- telling me what he thought happened with his shot and thinking, I literally shot over the herd <laughs> <laughs> because I was aiming at the herd Yeah, because there was, you know, I wasn't focused. I didn't have the right mental game, right? Any right. of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I don't know how old I was, 14 maybe. Yeah. But all of those things, yeah. none of them, <laughs> I didn't have any of it because, yeah. well, it wasn't even necessarily target panic. It was uh, what they call it, buck fever. Yeah, You're yeah, excited. Yeah. There's right. an animal. Shoot. I got to shoot. Yeah. I guarantee that's what happens with a guy that shoots a bear in the head with a bow. Yeah. He's got, mm-hmm. he's got bear fever. Yeah. Right? Bear turns his head. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Whack. <laughs> <laughs> Man. You know, the right, if, he, if you shot him in the side of the head, right behind the ear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, but I suppose. All, yeah, all of that just sounds like pretty basic stuff, but very important to focus mm. on. And, and I'll say this about your, with your dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that somebody who has been shooting a bow for 50 years or close to somewhere around there right. um, still finds the, it necessary to get into the position he's going yeah. to be shooting in, mm-hmm. practicing. You know, he's not overconfident with his abilities. Right. Um, goes to tell me that a lot of people listening to this probably shouldn't be overconfident either. No. Yeah. No bow hunter has any <laughs> that, right doing that. That, right, that so. tells me, you know, if that's yeah. what a vet of bow yeah. hunting is doing, mm-hmm. that's what everybody yeah. as a bow hunter should Absolutely. be doing. So I think the number one thing, and just because talking about brown bears, is with bow hunting brown bears, set your expectations low. Yeah. This guy had the perfect attitude. Mm-hmm. Perfect perfect outlook yeah he was just grateful to be there yeah you know he he really wanted to do the hunt but um from the start and even after everything else went down with him having to fly out and then being able to come back um and for just for a caveat if anybody is wondering it was legal for him to use helicopter to be transported out for an emergency and Mm -hmm. then return with fixed with fixed wing aircraft yeah um, that actually was double verified through the Alaska State Troopers. Yeah. So for anybody out there wondering, that was cleared for him right. to return to hunt. Yeah. Um, because they weren't using a helicopter for the hunt. He wasn't being right. transported to the field for hunting. C- correct. Yeah. He was extracted for a medical emergency. So anyway, yep. I just figured I'd mention that. I forgot to say that earlier. Absolutely. Um, he had the great he had the greatest attitude that he could have had from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He was calm in the situation. He was calm you know, in that moment of having that big of an animal that close, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of experienced guys that get close to bears and they just, they, they just fall apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of great moose and sheep and caribou hunters and they just, they're flat out petrified about bears. Mm-hmm. They just, it all goes out the window. Yeah. The calm, cool, collected, you know, smooth, slow as smooth, smooth as fast. Um, that just goes out the window with a bear. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. If you're not comfortable being that close to bears, then don't go. Yeah. Um, but have a good attitude. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy it. Yeah. It's a process. Your chances are the lowest that you can possibly have if you have a traditional bow. <laughs> and that goes for anything. Right. You're a, you are putting every level of difficulty mm-hmm. on that hunt. Don't expect it to happen. There's yeah. plenty of guys every year that bring up a rifle that don't get yeah. closer than 150 yards mm-hmm. from a big shooter brown bear like that. So don't have don't have high expectations. You know, yeah. just be there, be there to learn. You know, ask questions and just learn about the bears and play a strategy. Ask your guide questions about strategy. You know, don't second guess him, but ask him to include you on the strategies of it and help you learn about brown bears and why why aren't we going after this bear why aren't we glassing from this spot why are we staying here you know and he'll mm-hmm. explain all that to you um and then you'll see it all come together like we did on that second to last day especially that was our that was our prime chance obviously yeah. it's when we got our shot um and we had been there for a week and a half of hunting we'd had other opportunities but we had never been able to go right to that spot mm. and i knew i wanted to go there the whole time because I, I would watch bears <laughs> work that spot and i'd just say oh man there's another one right there same spot and i i just kept telling them just wait 
Yeah. The wind will switch. It'll be calm. It'll take us one day to get a chance at a big bear because they're all doing the same thing. Mm. And it worked out. Just trust that process. You can't second guess yourself. Yeah. Um, it's a patience game and you might not get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, had the wind not switched and died down and been good for us that day, we might never even got an arrow off the string on that hunt. And so just count your blessings. You know, we got our chances and the client went home safely in the end. Yeah. yeah. You know, all turned out well. He got to hunt after all, had a great time, experience of a lifetime, great attitude. And um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better client for it, really. Awesome. Um, he had an awesome time. And uh, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. <laughs> I, I was ready to keep hunting. Like we, we left and I got back to camp and came back home and I thought, man, I already miss it. Like that yeah. was, that's just a riot. Bow hunting is just a blast. Yeah. Sounds so, like an experience. Well, yeah. I'm glad you had a great hunt down there. I'm glad your client had just the absolute best attitude he could. He sounds like an absolute salt of the earth kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, he's just, that's, that's what hunting's about. That's what, yeah. you know, going out there for the experience appreciating every moment that's what it's all about so guys thank you very much for listening um we're gonna wrap this one up if you have any questions about anything discussed in this uh episode you can hit us up on the social medias if you go to at the northern hunter on either facebook or instagram Uh, if you go to northernhunter.com we have a nice contact button there where you can send us an email as well with any questions comments concerns complaints any of it uh and as always we always appreciate it when you Support the show with a subscription on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Uh, Ratings and reviews go a long way. The algorithm really takes all that and helps broadcast it in front of other people. Sharing the show with your friends and just getting it in front of as many people as we can helps us all grow. So Mm -hmm. thank you very much for listening and hang in there for Thursday. And until then, get out there, get after it, and good luck. We'll see you there.